This is Michael Dooney, and you're listening to my favorite comic book podcast, 11 O'Clock Comics. <laughs> Savage. Speaking Art. of savage, Vince. Yes. Do you know who I've been chatting with this week? Oh, I uh, uh, Donnie Cates. No, although that'd be fun. I wouldn't mind that. That would have been actually pretty cool if that was the case. But no. Who Nathan Good. Oh, nice. That's sweet. Good and plenty. Yeah. Say, uh, come on on with us. What are you getting? Oh, I can ask him. He, he's he's got a two week window to do commissions. So, are you getting? Oh, so you're talking to him about getting art? Yes. Oh, duh. duh. Like, well, I, sh- I should have. I said, hey, you know, uh, I said my, and I gave you all credit. I said my co-hosts uh, read your book and raved about it. I then looked at the art and was blown away. And I said, uh, I presume you're totally swamped with barbaric right now, but. He's got that horror thing too. He's working on, yeah. Book two of that. Should you have a window uh, in the near future where you're looking to do commissions, I would like to express interest. And then he hit me back and said, uh, "I've been deluged with commission requests, so I'm going to take a two week break and do commissions." And I said, "Well, huzzah! You got to get something with titties." (laughs) No, no. Okay. No, I didn't get anything with titties. What? <laughs> hey everybody! It's eleven o'clock comics episode seven hundred and fifty-one. Oh, it's a special one, and I am Vince B. You are Vince B. I am David A. Price. I can I can verify that. Uh, I am Gus, but y'all can call me Sweet Tooth. Oh boy! <sighs> Creativity is at a definite ebb, dap. <laughs> yeah, but uh, you're not Gus. You're Jason. Woo. <laughs> everybody here together we got an interview this episode but before we get into it we want to remind you where you can get your books get them fast get them live right to your door for a fraction of what everybody else is paying yes it's discount comic book service dcbservice.com you may hear about this book in more detail in the coming minutes but uh from dark horse it's a little book by jeff lemire called may's book Right, number one of five. Uh, the cover price on this thing is five ninety nine. After you hear him talk about it, you're going to want to order it, but it's not going to cost you five ninety nine. No, Sir Rebob, this is going to cost you two ninety nine. Do the math; that's half off. The meat in the middle is from Behemoth Comics. This is Nobody's Child, number one of six, written by Massimo Rossi with art by Ramiro Baraglio. I'm guessing. Um, it's the one about the uh, albino rhinoceros. It's three ninety nine cover price. Your price is $2.19. That's 45% off. And last but certainly not least, nestled inside a gorgeous Adam Hughes cover, it's the Vampiverse number one, written by Tom Snegoski and Janine Akison. Oh, they are mad. With art by Daniel Main, this is hopefully the start of a new ongoing. But what is an ongoing at Dynamite these days? We don't know. Uh, three ninety nine cover price. Your price one dollar ninety nine cents. 
DCBService.com does not mind late orders or order editions, and you get your books wrapped up nice and perfectly safe and sound, delivered right to the front door of wherever it is you live. Castle, cave, aircraft carrier, whatever. They'll bring it to you. DCBService.com. How about that? Yeah, heard. Spirited. It was a spirited promo. Before, um... Now, now, now that we got the promo out of the way in the business, that that part of the business, I believe we have a uh, a correction or a retraction. Wow! To a recent yes. episode, it's not Thank wasting any time. Jeez, you yes. think we had Vince, like a time limit? Vince, uh, Vince warned me of this. <laughs> <laughs> he called it, and it's you know you always know that you're in trouble when Vince, who is like the, fan of the most transgressive, like. Like wildly inappropriate thoughts and images tells you like mm, you might want to roll back on yeah that one. crazy yeah. guy in the corner uh, yeah. think don't so think he should say that I made some <laughs> let's say broad sweeping generalizations <laughs> last episode Dap I'm loving this about my feelings <laughs> that uh, people who chose to go to the Disney resorts the land the world etc on their honeymoon largely had uh, a sexual. Uh, loveless marriages. And, you know, I knew I was being a little hot takey there, admittedly. It wasn't like I thought that was like a, a, a you know, 100% rule. But let's just say that I had some level of feedback this week, which would lead me to believe that I was painting with a very broad brush. Because there are a number of relationships that, uh, from what I can gather, are extremely passionate, and in fact, much to my surprise, opted to have their honeymoons at a Disney park. So, nice. listen, I always tell my kids, if I can't apologize and say that I was wrong, how can I expect them to? So, I am officially retracting my clearly uh, misguided viewpoint last week, and uh, as it turns out, a lot of you freaks love to get your fuck on at disney more power to you i apologize for thinking otherwise nice this is a rarity folks you're never gonna see this motherfucker be wrong uh but he was in that instance so write it down i knew i was in trouble when vince is like you might want to yeah roll back on this i'm like oh no yep what has i done um and the drink roll call uh i completely forgot about the maker's mark i know you did yeah, clearly, because you it, weren't turned tonight. Well, it's upstairs. And had I... I didn't even bring it down. So if I did have it, I would be completely devastated right now. But um, I'm drinking... Uh, drinkling. drinkling. I'm mm. drinking the sparkling Should water. Big this is called Blueberry Acai. I don't know why those four letters translate <laughs> into Acai, but they do. So, yeah, Blueberry. Oh, oh okay, okay. Well, uh, I'm having my first cocktail in over a month. Wow. This evening in celebration of our illustrious guest. So um, I had multiple glasses of Dos Almas Grand Reserva Cabernet Sauvignon. Sweet. That's beautiful. Yes. Good for you. Yeah. Why is he laughing? <laughs> oh, you just seemed awfully excited about that. 
No, it's you know me. It's the it's the very subtle and incremental corruption of his physical fitness beliefs. So he thinks it's okay to have a drink now. That will compound itself. There's going to be another one. Oh, I'll have two. Maybe next time I'll have you know a little bit of the alcohol. Like so, it's it it is it is a corruption of his. Well, hold on a second. Why would you want? Because that's who I am. I'm the devil. But wait, wait, wait. Why would you want a person that you love to derail themselves from a positive path? Because then you can build yourself back up. No, this is it. I can't. I have no more journeys. Oh, you got plenty of journeys. Jesus, no, sound like no, you're going I, off the I, cliff. No, no, I'm saying I can't. Like, I, I can't. The roller has to. The roller coaster has to end. Okay, that's exciting. Yep. No, it, it's exciting because I'll be healthy and around for, for to be your friend. For ah, that yeah, that's years. great. That's boring, though. I want the struggle. I want <sighs> the clawing your way out of the hole, up the hill. That's fun. From my perspective, not from yours, obviously. But then again, that's not my concern. <laughs> Anywho, Dak, what are you drinking? Oh, did you take that personal? <sighs> Come on, I was kidding. You're, you're not, though. You take I pleasure am. in the failure. You take pleasure I, in the fall. No, I take pleasure in busting your balls jeez how can i be serious about that <laughs> i know but you like when i show up with the belly you're like oh no oh, no it's not about the belly <laughs> it's about it's about the terminology you use yes it's time for project rebirth <laughs> like okay Listen, that was like 10 years ago dude like give me a <sighs> at least you can credit me with the fact that this time it was driven by health issues oh yeah yes absolutely yep and I'm glad you held the ride. Jeez. Oh, uh, you mean the hundred miles? Yes. It was great, man. It was. I'm su- I was super happy. I. I was. Yeah. I was. How long? Uh, I did 103 miles in five and a half hours. Oh, that's not bad. Yeah. Yeah, I was hoping to do it in seven or less. So it was pr- pretty, pretty exciting. Well, that's yeah, a lot great. less than seven. Good on you. Yeah. Yeah, man. No, it was great. It was. Uh, and then I'm going to the Bahamas next Sunday. So my my hope is to do a 50 miler on saturday now do you have people watching you when you do that like what do you mean watching me you're doing it on the peloton i'm assuming right? yeah, yeah so is it live like there's people actually looking at you no, doing it no no um no i mean uh you can take live classes in peloton but they're scheduled so i in this case there were it was um it was six pre-recorded rides Oh, okay, I got it. Yeah, yeah. So, so there's they no have it set up for people who do want to do a century ride, and they yeah. can. No, I... no, 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 no. Oh. I just I just strung together six different rides from different, and I tried to pick rides with. Uh, I I wanted to do one ride each of the instructors that I like the most. Okay. And uh, yeah, I mean, it would just it just that's why it was 103 miles because the the last ride, obviously, it was I rode it to completion, but but I was it, it I was went past the hundred miles, so it wasn't. All right. Yeah. All right. yeah, we can litter the back end with this stuff because people want to they want to hear who they came to hear. Right? Dap, after Dap, what are you drinking, Dap? Uh from uh Conica Ridge Distillery in uh Indiana, uh where it is distilled. It is uh Clyde May's straight bourbon whiskey, carefully crafted, it says in the script. I really like this label. It's got a nice tactile feel. The lettering is raised, Vince. Nice. It's pretty fancy for freaking bourbon, man. It's 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 got a nice tacky feel to it. But um, I'm really enjoying this bourbon. Now, this is going to sound like a really dumb question, but if if I were to pour ten bourbons out as like a tasting for you, uh-huh. 
would they taste dramatically different from each other? Yes. Uh, uh, dramatically might. Yes, they will. There, there's every one will have a different. Um, uh, after effect, there there will be one might burn, one might. Uh, <laughs> that sounds fun. Or you could so be I, no, you could no, be a no, dick just, and pour them all from the same bottle. Yeah, just feel like yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I ask because like 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 I think no matter what anybody says, if you pour ten vodkas, most people aren't telling the difference. That's true. Yeah, vodka or gin, probably or gin. Yeah, so it's like, and those are the, the if if I am to drink hard liquor, those are the ones I'm more likely to drink. But like, um. But yeah, I know bourbon has got a different like. But I just I wonder like how dramatic the tastes are different from each other. It 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 can vary because obviously um, you've got you've got those that lean more towards corn. You've got those that lean more towards rye. Um, there's the higher the proof, um, the more you might get that uh, that that sting or that bite. My my neighbor, um, he and I shared a. Uh, Shared a drink a couple weekends ago, and actually he bought the bottle at the farmer's market, which I'm hoping they'll be back on this this weekend. But uh, it was um, it was barreled um, the vicinity it, somewhere along the lines. Maple syrup was involved, and it's not it doesn't it's not sticky sweet. It's not it's not thick, but um, but it just it it just it's dangerous because it went down real smooth and um it's something that you know you could just really take your time with and have a lot of fun with but uh no yeah it it absolutely will will vary i won't i'm not at the stage where i'll be able to tell you who bottled it and you know what what brand it may be but um but i can definitely I, i should be able to let you know that you know this is different than that one and and so on and so forth Right on. There you go. Um, and what about sh- take that out? Blah, 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 blah. Um, what you're about to hear is uh, very different because uh, Jason Dunn corralled Jeff Lemire to sit with us for a couple of hours, and we're all the better for it. Uh, very insightful, uh, sweeping interview. Lots of things covered. You're going to hear all this stuff. So I'm going to shut up and let. Jason and Jeff and Dap and I chime in a couple of times, but uh, it's it's awesome. Just sit back and listen. We'll be back on the tail end to talk here. All right, everybody. As promised, we told you all we we're going to have a special guest this week, and uh, he has arrived, making his triumphant return. A man who we certainly don't need to introduce you to, because let's face it, if you have read comics for the last fifteen years. And you don't know this man's work. I, I, I don't think that it's probably a, that defies the laws of physics. Um, but uh, he has uh, pretty much since we started the show been one of our favorite creators. He's always been uh, very kind to us and joined us to have chats about his work. And uh, he's been a little busy since the last time he was on. And we're going to dive into uh, the many things that he has uh, been writing and drawing in the last few years. And then probably, if we're lucky, touch on a few things that are upcoming as well. Please welcome back to the show uh, one of our favorites, and I'm sure yours as well, Mr. Jeff Lemire. Hey, guys. How you doing? Doing great, man. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. It's been a busy, busy couple months with, with stuff, but uh, I'm kind of relaxing this week with my family, so it's been good. Yeah, really good. 
Nice. Well, th- thanks for taking a little time during your relaxing time. I, I picture you never relaxing, so it's nice to know that you at least allot yourself it's a week. Very, it, it's very rare. It's like one one week in July or August. <laughs> That's about it. And, you know, even then I, I write like a script or two, so, you know. Now, before Jason bombards you with questions, is that a that's just your natural way of being? Like that's not um, a work ethic, or I got to do this because someone's going to outpace me, or that's just the way you are. You, you just produce yeah, all the time. That's the way I am. Wow. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not really a, a stress thing or a deadline thing. It's just uh, it's kind of what makes me happy. So. Oh, <laughs> that's awesome! It. Yeah. Yeah. Well, as far as uh, creation goes, that's a great way to be because you're always making something. Yeah, it's the best way to be because it's never, it never feels like work. It just feels like the thing, the thing you you want to be doing. It kind of brings balance to everything else in your life when I'm working, and for me anyway, when yeah. I can get work a little bit each day, I feel you know relaxed in, in the other aspects of my life. So it, it, even when I'm away and on vacation, I, I do a little bit here and there. So. Much respect. To man after my own heart, as you know, I, I have to always be doing something, so I love it. I love it. Jeff, I'm going to start off with an existential question because you've been on before, so we're going to talk about the litany of amazing work that you've been doing. But um, one of the things I've been meaning to ask you the next time you came on was I know that and, – and this isn't unique to you, but I know that um, part of the writing process is that you, you often wrap things up uh, long before we as consumers get to consume them. Yeah, and sure. So, and I'm sure that was the case with a lot of the stuff that's been wrapping up of late, but I'm curious. So as a creator, um, how, how does that play into like the way, um, you like factor into people's reception of your work? What I mean is that since you, you often are done things six, 12 months before we see them, uh, on the stands, does the, like the, the fan or critical reception of them, like matter in in any way to, to you? I mean, um, it, because it's so delayed. I mean, it's it kind of has different parts. That question, you know, like when I when I'm making something, uh, I I'm kind of making it for myself. To mm-hmm. be honest, Cause it's so it's so far ahead from when you guys sure. will read it um, that it's really about if it, if it's something I'm doing by myself, like writing and drawing, I, I'm kind of doing it for myself, you know. And then if it's something I'm collaborating with someone like Dustin or, or one of my regular collaborators, then it's sort of like, I'm doing it for us, you know, it's for, for, for me and to, and to do something that they want it, they will be excited to draw, you know? And so there's that when I'm doing it and then it kind of, I finish it and I move on to the next thing. And, and I kind of, I won't say I forget about it, but it's certainly not on my mind until it comes out to the public. And then it kind of has a second stage where I kind of, Oh yeah, I remember we did this thing <laughs> and now it's out there. And and then you see people reacting, and then that's kind of rewarding again. So you get these two levels of sort of um, gratification, you know, or the first one where you where you finish creating it and you get the gratification of having made something, hopefully you're proud of, and then and then the second is when yeah it goes out and you're, you're like oh right real people are gonna actual people are gonna read this and, and and see it and stuff and you know for me it's different especially the last two years because um, I, I'm not. I'm not big on going online and looking at reviews or, or stuff like that. So, I mean, I, I haven't read a review of one of my books in probably close to 10 years, you know? Um, so I, I don't really know what the reception is. I just kind of cross my fingers and hope it's good and, and not think about mm-hmm. it. But, um, 
generally how I, how I view things being received is when I do a convention or something and you actually, you know, meet people and, and kind of see them respond to the work and talk to you and stuff. And, and I haven't got that in the last couple of years because of COVID and stuff. So that's been, and you know, I, I think I didn't realize how much I needed that sort of getting out of my studio, getting out of my routine because I'm so routine oriented and, and going away to a, a con and actually re- being reminded that there's real human beings out there reading, <laughs> reading that stuff. And, you know, and I, I haven't had that. So it's been kind of weird the last couple of years for sure. Sure. So, so, I mean, on, on that front, do you, um, have you, are you jumping back in with both feet? Are you planning to make, uh, your return to the con circuit this year? Not this year. I think it's still, I, I'm in Canada. So the, the travel stuff still, I don't even know what the rules are yet. You know, Got it. it's kind of like, it's kind of a moving target all the time with border openings and stuff for, for that, you know? So I, and my kind of thinking is just, just take this year off because it's mm-hmm. already summer anyway. And then next year, I, I guess, will be the year that I start traveling again, you know, unless things really slide. But it seems like everything's going in the right direction. So, yeah, I'm really looking forward to that next year. I really missed, missed doing cons, and, and uh, I miss San Diego in particular this summer. It's been two, two San Diegos in a row now that we haven't gotten, and I didn't realize how much I love that one because I usually get to see all my friends, you know, all the other creators and stuff. And uh, So, that's, yeah, next year for sure I'm going to, get back to, to doing a few cons and I'll, I think appreciate them more than I did before we had this forced interruption of it, you know? Sure. Sure. Well, if you are looking to fill out your, your 2022 con, I, let me just do a shout out for heroes. Cause we're all making our return to heroes and it's the uh, 30th anniversary. Oh, cool. So love yeah, to see you there. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right. So we're, we have lots of comics to talk about, but um, under, under threat of, of, of uh, death by my 12 year old, uh, I have to start, uh, to talk about, we have to talk, talk about the sweet tooth because he's, he's tries. I might, he hasn't been into reading comics very much, but, um, he and, uh, the rest of the wood family, uh, absolutely loved the first season of the TV show. So congratulations. And, um, I was just telling the guys, uh, before you jumped on that, that I was on the Netflix, uh, earnings call, you know, for my day job, my shoot job. And, uh, as I'm sure you're aware, they mentioned that the first season has been seen by over 60 million households in uh, in North America, yeah. which is a stunning number. So again, congratulations. So um, just love to hear your. I don't know that I've you know heard you or, or seen you say anything about the show and and what you've thought seeing one of your best creations come to life in the way it has. So so what have been what's been your experience with it? Yeah, I mean it's been a long road. Obviously the the show. Um, I guess it would have been, God, I'm trying to remember when we first started talking about it. It must have been 2018, I guess, mm-hmm. that I first started speaking with Jim Mickle, who had kind of been hired by Team Downey to, to adapt Sweet Tooth, you know, and, and I didn't know Jim at the time, but then I I looked into some of his stuff and I, he did a show called Happen Leonard. It was, an, uh, uh, it was a really good show. And I so I watched that and, and then Jim and I started talking and he kind of sent his his initial pitch documents for Sweet Tooth, and I really liked them. You know, I was uh, you, you, obviously you never know what an adaptation is going to be like, and um, and there are certain comic adaptations that are, you know, they don't resemble the source material at all. You know, and, and so when I when I read his his pitch, and it really it really did keep all the foundational elements of the story in place. Uh, I was really happy about that, and and then, but you know, as, as you guys 
probably know from other conversations about creators, there's the stuff often, often gets optioned and there's always stuff in, in development, quote unquote, and very little of it ever makes it to the screen. So you kind of temper your expectations, you know, with all these things. And um, so at the time I was kind of like, yeah, it's great. Not really thinking this would happen, you know? And then when it got picked up by Hulu at the time, picked it up actually to do the pilot. Uh, and they shot the pilot in New Zealand in the spring of 2019. I got to go to New Zealand and be on set for that. And that was, pretty pretty incredible where it, it suddenly became real you know where this one had kind of gotten gotten over that development stage and something was actually being filmed and then to, to show up in new zealand which by itself is a pretty pretty magical place to be uh but to be on set and see you know gus walking around and with antlers and the plaid shirt and, <laughs> and all that stuff is pretty surreal and cool you know to be a part of that and uh and then there was a long, kind of a long stretch after the pilot was done when we, we were all really happy with the pilot, but Hulu passed on that, so kind of surprisingly. And, um, and then Netflix picked it up. And then, of course, COVID hit, so I couldn't go back for the shoot of the, the rest of the first season, unfortunately. But um, so, yeah, that was, it was sort of a long development thing. And then I got to watch the show a little bit before everyone else did, you know, and, and was it was, you know it's really weird for me to watch it. I think more than anyone else because it's so close to me and, and, uh, and I, it, it was weird watching it. You know, there's stuff about it. I loved and stuff. I wasn't sure that was, it was going to work, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, because when I was seeing it too, I was seeing rough cuts with no music, no, no VFX, no, you know what I mean? And it's kind of like seeing a really an unfinished thing. And so I'm like, ah, is this, is this part working? You know? And, uh, yeah. So, you, you know, you're, you're, there's some trepidation there about how, how it was going to be received. And then when it, when it came out and it was so, so huge and so pretty much for the most part, universally positive, the response, um, it was kind of such a huge relief <laughs> that it wasn't, you know, it was received that way and, and the people were into it. And, and then, uh, um, yeah, so I mean, all in all, it's been super positive the experience and really, really cool. It's kind of, I mean, it's really weird to see how big it's gotten, how it's kind of, this, you know, this indie comic that I did at Vertigo 10 years ago has now become this big pop culture sort of thing that's kind of growing beyond me. That, that's weird, you know, it's, it's cool and it's exciting, but it also feels a little a little like it's been taken away from you in some ways. And that's hard. Some, some days that's hard to deal with where it feels like, <laughs> you know, other people online talking about sweet tooth that just you know probably have never, never read the comic and stuff and you know so that's something you kind of have to reconcile in your head that it's okay that that's that thing and so yeah some days are some days i love it some days i'm like oh this is really weird you know but all in all it's been super positive so. right i'm not a tv person at all um but there was no way that i was missing this i have to say i think for me as a as a casual viewer the 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 thing that really succeeds about this show is Christian Convery. I think this kid is unbelievable. I think yeah. uh, the depth of emotion in this kid's face, and he's just, a, he's basically a baby, right? And right. and the subtleties in his delivery and the innocence that this kid just, this just exudes. I was amazed with him. Like, I watched each episode probably twice just to pick up on his his mannerisms and his delivery, and I think the kid is brilliant. But um, yeah, I agree. Yeah, he. Yeah. Uh, I just want to hold him and hug him and be like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> well, 
You know the reason he's so good, though, right? I don't. He's Canadian. Oh, well, there yeah. So he has emotions. Uh, I get it. He has real emotions. (laughs) He has real empathy. (laughs) Uh, Let's be be honest, Jeff. The thing that most upset you is that they Americanized it by making uh, Jeppard an ex-NFL player instead of an ex-NFL player. That's funny because I remember doing the book Two thousand nine or whatever, and uh, I was, you know, joking to my wife like at the time, like if they ever made this into a TV show or a movie or whatever, I know the first thing they do is turn him into a football player instead of a hockey <laughs> player. And of course, that's exactly what happened. But that's cool. I, I can deal with that. Yeah, you know, honestly, I love the show. I think it's great. I think Christian's incredible, and um, it's it's interesting. It's I mean, a lot of people online. There's always the debate, you know, amongst fandom of book versus show, and and mm. you know how faithful it is to the show or how faithful the things they changed and how I react to all that stuff. But, uh, you know, I'm pretty happy with it on a whole. I think that, you know, I kind of, I mean, the obvious thing is that the book is, is a lot darker and more violent than the, than the show, obviously. Right. And, um, but to me, it's kind of cool because, you know, in the comic, I feel like the, the kind of darker elements and the horror kind of elements and violent stuff was sort of, in the foreground of the comic and then the heart and the, the innocence and the, the storybook kind of storyline was kind of crept up on readers, you know, and, and I feel like the show kind of in, inverted it in a cool way where the heart and the storybook stuff is right up front, you know, and then the darkness is still there, but it's kind of creeping around in the background and it sneaks up on you a bit. So I don't know. I, I kind of like how they complement each other in that way. And, and, uh, and then it's a cool adaptation, you know, whenever anything's, in the changed medium it's going to change so on a whole i'm I'm really happy with with how much of it has stayed intact you know and and how much of the heart of the book is still very much very much there even though the tone might be a little more family friendly and whatnot i i'm cool with that sure Right, right it's well uh concessions must be made right if 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 you want the the translation of your book to be exactly like your book then why don't you just hand out the book, right? So, I mean, I think it's great that you 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 love this thing so much. Um, the internet people, the hell with them, right? If if I mean, if they find fault with it, yeah, you know, and, and you can't please everyone, obviously. No, but uh, and if people like the book better than the movie, I'm not going to complain about that. Oh, of course not, <laughs> you know? right? And yeah. and the, the people who like the show and, and don't read the comics probably would never read comics anyway. So we haven't really lost anything, you know. Right. I think it's yeah. I mean, it's you're right like the book will always be the book and it's exactly how i wanted to do my version of this story you know and that doesn't change and it's it's really cool to see an adaptation where i mean i know that the jim nickel and the king downey and everyone making the show are really passionate about the comic and and are trying to make something really special and of course it's going to be a little different because it's a different medium and a different platform and and you kind of have to accept that and go with it and uh if you do i think i think they both are are kind of great together you know Mm-hmm. So, so it sounds, uh, Jeff, to me, just the way the conversation's going, that um, you you don't you don't maintain any kind of like creative control on on the show. Like what what happens on the show is is what happens, or do you have some kind yeah, of say? Pretty much, you know. I mean, to be to be honest with you, I mean, Sweet Tooth was uh, one of the first books I did, right? So, I mean, yeah. I was the contract I signed at Vertigo at the time. I would never sign now, <laughs> but uh, you know. <laughs> At the time, you're just glad to be published. So yes, I signed, you know. So my 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 creative kind of control of the show is very limited, you know. Um, but having said that, 
uh, well, I'm not, I'm not actively writing the show or, or a part of that. Um, I will say that Jim and, and Team Downey have been incredible about keeping me involved and keeping me involved in every step of the creative process when they didn't need to, you know, it wasn't contractually obligated, but they did anyway. And that's, and that's cool. awesome, you know, and, and kind of for me, like I'm, I've got so many comics projects going on and I'm adapting right now three of my other books myself for TV or film. So, I mean, I can't do it all, right? I can't, I can't adapt all of them myself. Yeah, for sure. So it's great when someone who really gets it and really is passionate about it comes on, who I can trust and who I can kind of just enjoy this, this version that they're doing without having to be super involved, you know, because it could have gone a totally different way where someone could have come on board whose vision for this thing was, was not what I liked or what I was on board with, but I wouldn't have been able to change it, you know? And so I got lucky that the people doing it have done such a good job. I think that's more common, right? I mean, and, and again, I can't say I've had conversations with all the comic creators that, that we know that have had stuff adapted, but I've had enough of them where I, and, and seen the adaptations where I thought, Oh, that's unfortunate. You know, like yeah. that didn't go the yeah. way anyone had planned. I'm sure. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah. So, I mean, all in all, it's, this has been a really incredibly positive thing for me and, and for the, for the, you know, it's, I can't imagine how many more people are, are going to read the book now that would never have heard of sweet tooth, you know, and that's, that's the ultimate win for me is bringing new readers to comics. And yeah. I mean, to, to your point, yeah. like I joked my, my 12 year old at dinner tonight was like, cause I said, Oh, we're going to have the Jeff Lemire on the sweet tooth creator. And he said, Oh, He's like, I've been meaning to ask you, Dad, uh, is there enough comic to have another season of the show? Which I thought was cute for two reasons. One, because, you know, he thinks that, like, if there wasn't that, like, they wouldn't do the show anyway. <laughs> I'm not, like, just writing newest stuff. But but two, I'm like, yeah, there's there's tons more story. And in fact, we have we have it in multiple forms. So why don't I bring it up from the comic room tomorrow and you can read it? <laughs> so we'll see if yeah, we, can, cool. can, we can convert him. Um, you mentioned that you're 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 more hands on with three other properties for TV. Um, is that like public knowledge like i know for example that gideon falls has been in some form of production for a number of years but is that what you're talking about or, or are these things public yeah, or can you not tell so, us uh, yeah I don't, I don't think any of it's secret I, I mean um so essex county is i've been working on the adaptation for essex for five years now here in canada we're gonna sh we're supposed to shoot it uh we were supposed to shoot it this fall but with COVID, i think things are kind of a little fluid there but um so yeah, I've been writing, writing and adapting that one myself here um, for five years now, and we've got, you know, we're getting really close to the to finishing that and, and actually shooting it. So, so there's that, and then um, I've worked on the Descender adaptation now as well for for television. Uh, I have the pilot and the series Bible done for that, and we're kind of shopping around for the right kind of showrunner director to team up with us and take it out. Um, and uh yeah what else i i sometimes forget what else i'm working on. <laughs> um oh black hammer i did black hammer for legendary so yeah so i you know i've been busy doing that stuff and it's, it's really interesting even myself adapting my own stuff how much i need to change it sometimes to to meet just to fit television you know because um the first thing i learned doing Essex a couple of years ago and, and it's kind of been the same thing since is whenever you turn a comic into a TV show, you realize really quickly that TV eats up way more story than a comic does. So, you know, like one issue of a comic, like one 20 page issue of a comic, it's probably like, if you're lucky, that's like maybe one act of one episode of the television mm. show time, 
you know, if you're, if you're doing a pine. So, um, you just need so much story, you know, and, uh, and so you, you inevitably, with some projects, you need to start adding stuff that you didn't have in the books, you know, like ethics, for instance, that, you know, that story does not, you know, there's not enough story there to fit uh, a season of television. So we had to like, kind of dive back into that world and kind of extrapolate out some of the stuff. But then there's stuff like Defender, which luckily we had 50 issues of pretty densely plotted comics. That there's a lot of story there to work with, you know, so it's been different projects, kind of different things. But yeah, I understand the need to change stuff and to add things and stuff more than I would have if I hadn't been, uh, you know, adapting my stuff myself. Mm-hmm. So when you, when you start adapting this stuff yourself, I mean, do you, do you just jump in with two feet like you did back when you started writing comics or do you have like a, uh, you know, comics badass sort of conclave hotline? Do you, do you like, do you get the, the bat phone and talk to Kirkman and say, Hey, what was your process doing? Like, do you, do you have people that you, that you got some kind of perspective on like the journey that was ahead or did you just like, oh, I'll figure it out as I go? No, I mean, with most of these projects, uh, you usually, I usually write a pilot by myself pretty quickly I mean, I know the source materials, obviously, you know, so it's not like I need to do research or anything. I just kind of dive in. And, but then after the pilot, it's generally then you have to get a writer's room together and bring in other writers and a workshop story and, and do that whole thing. So for me, it was kind of teaming up. Essex is the one that's kind of gotten the, the farthest, you know, beyond the pilot stage. So for me, it was teaming up with some experienced television writers that kind of knew that medium really well, the way I know comics, you know, and, and who could kind of guide me a little bit and help me just even just with simple things like like timing and structure and stuff that was different from comics you know but um yeah i mean in general i i write fast and i kind of just go for it so it hasn't been that much different <laughs> for tv I, I i tend to write it all pretty quickly and kind of kind of dive in the difference between tv and comics is that there's endless rewrites for tv or as comics you you write something it goes to the artist and then a couple months later you're reading you know people are reading the comic whereas with uh with tv we're we're endlessly rewriting for five years before we shoot you know it's it's a different that can be exhausting and it's a different way of thinking but um it's just i guess that's just the way that that industry works sure all right so we we've we've made several allusions to the fact that you're that you're busy and prolific so since you've been on the show I just had a little list here, and I'm probably missing things, but um, we've got uh, 27 issues of Gideon Falls, nearly 100 issues of of the Black Hammer family. And I know you haven't like written or you co-write some, but I'm just saying like certainly it's all under your watch in some way. So nearly 100 issues of that and related titles. You had the six issue Sweet Tooth Return, which you uh, you, you revisited. Uh, Sentient six issue series, um, as you alluded, you had 32 issues of Descender and another 18 of Ascender. Um, and then you've had, uh, snow angels, which, um, is ongoing, but I think it's going to be 10 issues. I assume you've written them all already. Uh, family yeah. tree, family tree was 12 issues. We had Phil Hester on the show about what about Dap about a year ago, Adamon, I think oh, whenever cool. this year. Yeah. And, um, I assume you and Matt have long since finished writing cosmic detective, which is coming oh, yeah. soon. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, you have, uh, and I'm, pr- I'm probably missing some things, but, but you, you, yeah. It's it's an immense amount, and then of course you have the stuff upcoming, which we'll we'll get to the you know primordial news book and all that. But um, yeah. But like, do you, do you have an idea book? I mean, I know you've always said every time you've been on, you have a, you always have ideas in your head. But like, how do you prioritize now? Because I would imagine at this point in your career, you, you have the ability to prioritize. Like, obviously in the beginning, you prioritize whatever a publisher will say yes to. But but at this point, you can I assume 
put out whatever you have the time for and you have a partner that you want to work with. So, so, um, you know, how, 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 what is your process for, for prioritizing there? Is it just when a window opens up where either you have time to draw something or, a, or one of your, your, your illustrator partners that you want to work with has, has the window to draw something? Um, well, it's kind of changed over the last couple of years where you, it's, you kind of alluded to it there. Where, I mean, when I started, uh, I guess, you know, the first kind of phase of my career was just writing and drawing my stuff, you know, with, with Essex County and stuff like that. And that was sort of, at that point, you're just trying to, trying to work a day job to pay the rent and, and make comics whenever you can. And then all of a sudden you start getting paid to make comics and, and that's different. So, you know, I made Sweet Tooth and, um, and then started writing all that stuff for DC when the new 52 kind of started. I guess that was, oh God, was 10 years ago now. Oh yeah. Oh God. Um, so you then, then it's sort of like, yeah, you, you write anything that, that you can get to kind of build your name and your career. So you're writing as much as you possibly can at the, that point. And I kind of did that for, for almost a decade, you know, where I was <clears throat> anything that any opportunity you got with DC or when I was with Marvel, with Marvel, you wrote that stuff and then you tried to do your creator own stuff too. And, but then it's gotten to a point, um, you know, within the last three or four years or whatever that, uh, I guess I've built enough of a, a readership and a, and a reputation that I, I don't have to kind of constantly be hustling, you know? So, and I also just don't really want to do Marvel and DC stuff anymore because it's so much more rewarding to do stuff that you own and, and, and control yourself, you know? So I, I kind of shifted to create your own stuff and, and, uh, and now I'm at a good spot where, yeah, I mean, I'm writing and drawing something all the time, you know. Or, you know, I done the Maze book, which is going to come out uh, in September, and now I'm on to my next one, and uh, and that's kind of my priority now. It's kind of, in some ways, come full circle where I'm back to where I was when I was doing Essex County and stuff. Where I, you know, the the one this one big project that I'm writing and drawing myself is kind of my priority through the week, and then I have these sort of great relationships I've formed with with Sorrentino and with. Dustin uh, and a couple other creators that um, that I love, and so I'm just kind of writing two or three things, you know, for those guys all the time, uh, and yeah, and then I don't really need to do anything else. So it's kind of it's a great spot to be in where I can just sort of get back to being a cartoonist first, and then and then write these write a couple books for these these creators who I've I've built the readership with, like Dustin and. and uh, and do those books and um and i don't really have to worry about anything but finding work or hustling to do more and more stuff all the time yeah it's good i'm kind of relaxing in a good way i think and and then you can also the, the real freedom of that is you don't have to put something out so you can wait until you have an idea that you're really into you know and um and i've done that now over the last couple of years where i've developed stuff that just wasn't you know, maybe in the past I would have pushed it through and made it into a book, but I wasn't totally feeling it yet or it needs work or whatever. And I can kind of put it aside and just do the things that I'm really, I feel are fully baked and I'm really uh, committed to, you know. Um, I don't know if that answers your question, but that's kind of where I'm at. Yeah, yeah no, no doubt about it. I mean, the the other thing that strikes me is I feel like you, <clears throat> you are... Um, like I, I look at the list of stuff that you've done or are doing, and you've got, um, you've got image, you've got dark horse, you've got TKO, you've got Comicsology, which is super interesting. You've done a Kickstarter, um, 
obviously DC. So what's up with that? Like, like why, like, I guess, um, why, uh, other than you just, you're curious about the, the, the different mediums and delivery mechanisms, maybe that's the answer, but, but why, um, you know, why do, do projects at all these different places and not just, just stick with image where you own it lock, stock and barrel or, or image and dark horse where you've had a, a long relationship. So I understand staying there too. Yeah, no, I mean, um, I think a lot of it was, uh, you know, you come out of doing Marvel and DC stuff for a lot of years where you, for the most part, I was probably exclusive of one or the other of those companies for, for almost a decade, you know? So when you come out of that, it's like, let's try things and let's see what, the, what options and opportunities are out there. So you kind of line up different projects with different publishers, kind of feeling things out and, and looking for that home, you know, that, that where you can do all your stuff. And, and then it, so, you know, that's why you try things like Comixology with Jock or, or you know, TKO is this new kind of up-and-coming company who who seemed really interesting and, and uh, offered a lot of creative freedom. And um, But, you know, for the most part, I think, you know, the uh, like you said when we started this interview, a lot of the stuff I've done, uh, I, I you know, the stuff you're reading now I've done years ago, you know, a, couple, a year or two ago. Sure. So, Really, I, I think you'll, what you'll see now over the last year or two is really all—it's all image stuff now. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I kind of—I've—I've I've, I've went around and, and I've—I've—you I've, know—played the field and kind of saw what there is out there and what different publishers offer. And and uh, you know, image really is the best spot for me. And then at Dark Horse, I have my black camera stuff, which is a nice home for that. So that's kind of where I, the line is now for me. It's like. All my stuff will be image, and then the black camera stuff will be there, of course. And that's kind of where I'll, where I'll be, I think, for the next several years. You know. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And and also, I mean, I, you've been on since then, but obviously, you worked at Valiant as well. And um, yeah, w- any any, um, I mean, you, you kind of already said that you're going to stick with those two spots now. But but any thoughts? Because because you know, certainly our listenership and we is, is we do love the idea of 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 uh, a vibrant alternative comics market you know meaning just different yeah. publishers so what what any 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 thoughts or observations about um you know pros and cons of of like the comicsology model um or, or or tko and and uh i i guess i'm i'm half surprised you never did a bad idea book but uh not not that i can blame you but <laughs> yeah no you know i mean the bad idea thing i i definitely talked to warren and, and dinesh about doing some stuff with them because because we had such a great relationship at, at Valiant and I love working with those guys, but you know, um, you know, some uh, trying to be diplomatic about this, but you know, sometimes it's a business decision too, where, you know, with TKO or with that idea, you might have a lot of creative freedom to do this stuff, but in the end, you don't, you're not going to fully own it yourself. Whereas I could go to image and, and um, the time and energy I would spend doing a TKO or bad idea book i could do something of my own and and own it completely so it's kind of hard to, to justify those things you know and um comiXology was just i thought an interesting interesting thing to try just because digital comics was not something i'd ever put a lot of effort or time into thinking about i just was so i'm so old-fashioned you know and, and loving print comics that i thought uh, you know let's give this a shot and try something that goes straight to digital and, and to see maybe you tap into a slightly different market. Um, so that was kind of a one-off that I tried, you know, and it's been cool. But, you know, for the most part, image for me really is the best business-wise, the best deal in comics now. And, 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 and uh, 
and Dark Horse have just built a good relationship with them with the Black Hammer stuff. So it just it just seems to work for me. But you know, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm with you guys. The more publishers out there doing interesting stuff, the better. You know, for everybody. So it's kind of cool to try stuff. Yeah. We often talk about there's a, like a chicken and egg though, right? Like with image in the sense that because you know, as you know, I think you know we're we're, we're good friends with with Scotty Young as well, and and yeah. um, so we talk about that a lot. And like I do, th- I always say to him when you when he kind of says what you just said, which is like, yeah, but like I feel like there is a chicken and egg where there's a certain point in image where you've proven yourself as a as a creator, you've built through your own talents enough of an audience that there's. Uh, like an like an instantiated value proposition to doing an image book, meaning like you're not going to lose your shirt. But for a lot of yeah. of up and coming creators who maybe could the, the quality is there that they could get an image book, but again, like you know, there's a good chance they're going to not make or lose money because they have to pay a, 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 a an artist or, or at least you know there has to be some compensation for an artist time and stuff. So like so it it is a bit like like for for you or a scotty or or like you know a couple other people it's it's de-risked right yeah. like there's not like worst case you don't make a much money off of the book but like it's still going to come come out and you're going to get it done but like that's the trick right is that it image is great for a certain group of creators i'm not sure it's like perfect for everyone which is why it's good that there's these other places where maybe someone can get a page rate you know they can they can sure like you said they're they probably have to give up some ownership but maybe that's maybe that makes it viable, whereas they just don't have the budget to to pay a great artist for twelve issues on their own. So, yeah. I, like I like that there's well, alternatives. Yeah, and for sure, I think that you know if you you know there it's kind of like there's two image comics. There's image comics for the you know established creators like me and and Scott Snyder and Scotty and and people like that. And then there's mm-hmm. young young creators who are trying to break into the industry and stuff. And, like you said, yeah, them doing an image book is an expensive proposition and, and they might not even break even, you know? So, you know, that's probably why, if you look at my career, I, I didn't start at Image, you know? Um, I started it, you know, I was lucky enough to get in a Vertigo where I could make a page rate and then sort of make a name for myself, <clears throat> um, but still, you know, make a living doing that before I, I kind of established myself enough to go to go to an Image, so... Yeah, I think it is good that there are these other other avenues out there, you know. Yeah, I I don't know if you remember because you've probably done a trillion interviews since, but I do remember when we we had you on for the first time way back when, and we were all just riffing, and you and you were just on Essex County and stuff, and um and I think you would we just got to talking about how you would love to someday do uh, superhero comics because and and at the time it was kind of it was noteworthy because you know you were you were you weren't a superhero guy and people were like oh look at that like. Jeff wants to do superhero comics like that's cool. Um, so it's like funny to fast forward a decade and now you've done something which I got to be honest with you, Jeff, I didn't think was possible, which is you have created a vibrant standalone interconnected universe of superhero books outside of the big two. Like, I mean, it's obviously a foregone. You've, you've proven that it's it. it ha- you did it. But I, I didn't think that was possible uh, in today's market. And, um, yeah, so that's really pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But- it's- Do we get disconnected? Did we lose him? No, he's muted. He's muted. Oh, you can see the icon. Oh, sorry. Are you, you guys got me? Yeah. Yes, sorry. I think we, we sorry. Uh, yeah. No, no worries. Yeah, I was just saying uh, Black Hammer. Yeah, I, I'm 
Yeah, I mean, I didn't really expect it to become what it was. You know, it started off as the one book, the first Black Hammer series. And and, uh, and I, I just think the reason it worked is because it was so character driven and, and mm-hmm. it came from a really heartfelt place, a love letter to, to superhero comics, but also it had its own characters, its own story that were strong and, and developed. And, and then I grew it kind of slowly out of that rather than kind of coming in all high concept and, and trying to set up like some publishing empire, you know, I, I just grew it out of the characters and it just seemed to work. Uh, I, and, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's really hard to compete with Marvel and DC for superhero stuff. So it is kind of shocking that it's, it's become what it has, but, uh, you know, um, I think it, it really comes from a good place. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it, you know, I, I started off, doing Essex County stuff, I never thought I'd write superhero comics. I never thought I'd get the opportunity. But I always loved that stuff. Um, you know, growing up, I loved that stuff as much as I loved the indie stuff. And and, uh, and then, you know, getting to the Marvel and DC stuff for so many years was fun and rewarding in its own way. But I could never really do those stories the way I fully would want to do them because there's so much editorial control and, sure. and stuff at Marvel and DC. So, in a way, Black Hammer was kind of like a, a, re- a reaction to finally getting getting out of Marvel and DC and, and then being able to do those real stories exactly the way I wanted to do them. Uh, and I think that kind of showed, too, where it was like I could finally kind of cut loose and do them <laughs> do them my way. So. Yeah, I mean, not to blow smoke up your ass, but but I just think it's been a magical it's been magical. I really just, I love every bit of it. So, and, and I think it's cool that you, like you said, you started, obviously you were writing and, and you had uh, D- Dean uh, doing the, you know, the art and Dave Stewart on colors, but then you have, you know, kind of, it seems like slowly, almost organically loosened the reins, right? Where you started having co-writers, you've started letting other people tell stories in that universe. And um, I just think it's neat the way to see it uh, unfold. And I, uh, I have to say that like, if you look at your collaborators throughout the, the 86 plus issues it's it's just a hell of a, a group of of really talented artists and I, I i wonder again like i don't remember um like how you hooked up with with dean but like ray fox and michael walsh and i am a massive massive like probably the world's biggest mark for david rubin and i know you're also doing oh, a cosmic yeah. detective with him in fact yeah, i just uh, uh yeah i just bought two pages of david rubin <laughs> art very happily from a dealer in Spain this week. I just finalized the deal today. So I'm well, he broke happy. his rule for it. I broke my rule for it. Yes, one of my rules is I don't buy penciled pages, but I, I broke my rule oh, yeah. for for David. But <laughs> but my point is 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 I just I think your your group of, of collaborative partners in this has been like second to none. And um yeah, I just I mean, do you do you like you've got visions and reborn and unbelievable unteens uh happening now? Do, do, is is this gonna persist a la like the Mignola verse, so to speak, where it'll keep going as long as you or friends have good ideas that tie in, or is there a, a finite end in your mind? Well, I mean, it's interesting. I haven't really talked about this yet. I haven't done an interview. Oh, breaking think. news. Uh, nice. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, Reborn is like, uh, it's 12 issues and, you know, Caitlin Yarsky and, and Malachi Ward are doing the art and they're, you guys haven't seen any of Malachi's stuff yet, but it's, going to blow your mind it's awesome uh so that's going to be that's kind of the core story now i kind of i feel like the last two or three years were all about expanding the universe and kind of seeing seeing how big it could get and still feel like black hammer you know um and i feel like i i did that and then i started to worry that if i kept pushing in that direction i was going to lose the 
the thing that made made it Black Hammer, you know, it, it maybe it would. So the Reborn is really now kind of going the other way, where I'm going to funnel it back down into this one series, like all the stories, and um, and kind of keep it really concentrated again, like when we started uh, with Dean, you know, and, and just tell this one core story in Reborn that will go for 12 issues, and then that's going to lead to one final sort of big finale kind of series that we're, I just started writing, which will, it's, to me, will kind of be the end of it, you know? Um, and is it really the end? Probably not. You know, I think, you know, we, you know, five years from now, three years from now, I might have an idea for something I want to go back and do, but I think it'll be the end of the sort of the ongoing multiple series and whatnot. You know, I think it'll, it'll put, kind of put a period on the end of the whole story that I've been telling since the first, the first series. So, uh, yeah, I, I just feel like I love everything we've done and I don't want to just do it, keep going just to keep going. You know, I don't want to keep just doing more just to put more books out. If they're not, if they don't feel special and, um, they don't feel like they belong in that universe, I worry that this thing is going to just get watered down and become, you know, like another generic Marvel or DC ripoff thing. And I, that's the last thing Black Hammer should be. So yeah, I, I think to answer your question, it, I do have an endpoint in mind and, it will come out of out of this bloodshot. Uh, uh, Black Hammer Reborn uh, series will kind of lead us to a, to an end point. Damn, you heard it here first, first folks. <laughs> well, I'm glad, I, I'm glad. I, I'm glad. I, I'm glad I, uh, I have to look at Malachi stuff. I, like I, I think I told you uh, when we were chatting about coming, you coming on, that I uh, I was really really impressed with Caitlin. I wasn't familiar with her work until this, but I um, I did yeah, procure one, one of the pages from the first issue, so. Yeah, I'm really happy to be working with her. We, when uh, when we were launching the new book, we really were searching around for the right artists, and I was not familiar with her stuff either. But uh, my editor Daniel kind of presented her stuff to me, and and I knew right away that like the character work she could do, and just the emotion and the the humanity she put into her characters would be perfect for Black Hammer. So I really love working with her. Sure. Really good. Uh, and I don't. I mean, this may be. Um... Like maybe this is not like a touchy touchy subject, but it, like I know that Dean had had some health issues. Is he is he okay? Is he do you know if he's... yeah he's good? Okay. So yeah, I mean the, the obvious question is why isn't Dean doing the stuff? And you know the truth is that um, he just doesn't have the speed that he used to. You know, so sure. because if for anyone who doesn't know, I mean he's been public about this before, so I'm not I'm not betraying anything. But he had a he had a, a brain hemorrhage. At, while well, he was working on the original series and yeah. it was very, you know, very scary for a while. He essentially had a stroke, you know, and, um, mm-hmm. and then, uh, you know, doing the black hammer stuff that he did was kind of, I think in a way it was his therapy of, of getting his, his drawing hand going again and, and everything. But the truth is he just doesn't have the speed to do a monthly book that he, he did then. Um, so what we're doing instead is I'll do these, this main series with Caitlin and Malachi and, and then Dean and I are going to do just kind of shorter, shorter black hammer projects that uh that don't we don't have to worry about the monthly deadline so we're doing a madam dragonfly series that he's going to draw a four issue thing and it's going to take as much time as he wants to, to do that and we'll put it out when he's done you know? oh perfect. Look awesome. that's great the first time. and then when that's done we'll do something else maybe maybe something outside of black hammer you know maybe do our own a new thing of our own or oh i'm, I'm thrilled to of, hear that that's that's great yeah 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 we're we yeah. we're in constant contact and and uh he signs off on all the artists that come on and um, yeah, it's just, it's just for me, it's wanting him to be comfortable and not put pressure on him. So 
he'd rather do original graphic novels or miniseries where he can just take a time and work at his face, you know, and, uh, and nice. I'm more than happy to write those things for him forever. So, yeah. Um, all right, let, let's, let's jump into cosmic detective because, um, you know, it's you, it's Matt and it's Rubin. So it's like, for me, it's like, uh, it's like, I don't know. It's like the Neapolitan ice cream of, uh, of, of, of comics. I'm oh, very, very pleased. What flavor am I though, Jason? You're strawberry. No, I'm vanilla. Come on, man. No, 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 no. Kint's vanilla. Kint's vanilla. Because he, he won't, he doesn't, he doesn't want to do the show. So he's got, he's got to be vanilla. You're strawberry. <laughs> um, no, but, but in all seriousness, I mean, you, you are three, uh, again, no hyperbole, no bullshit. You guys are three of, 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 uh, of, of our favorite creators in the biz full stop. But I got to ask you, given what we know of you and, and how meticulous you are as a writer and you like structure and Matt is as if not maybe more meticulous in terms of like, even like he, you know, he wants to have final say on like, the, the way that his books are published and matted and all that stuff. Like how in the hell did you two share writing duties on a full graphic novel? Like how, what was that process like collaboratively? Um, well, you know what, Matt and I may be, when we're doing other stuff, we might be sort of <laughs> control freaks or whatever, but um, when we're together, it's like the most effortless friendship I've ever had, you know, and uh, I met Matt, I guess it'll be 2004, 2005. I, one of the very first comic shows I ever did was the Mocha show in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, I had my first book, Lost Dogs, and he had, I don't know what he had at his table, but we both kind of gravitated to each other's tables because we kind of saw a kinship in the art style and, and things, and we became really, really fast friends, you know. Outside yeah. of Probably Super Spy, by the way, I would guess, right? Or yeah, I think, yeah. I think it was Two Sisters, actually. But, um, two Sisters, yeah, which is the precursor to Super yeah. Spy, yeah. Yeah. yeah, so we became just this really good friends and our, you know, not just in comics like anything, but outside, you know, our, our families are close. And so Matt and I uh, have always had this sort of effortless sort of thing, you know, where it's just fun and, and relaxed and we just get each other. I think maybe because we are so similar <clears throat> um, in the way that we work and stuff. So with Cosmic Detective and, and the other stuff we've collaborated on, it's like, it was just fun. It's like uh, him and I were at a convention together saying, well, let's just do something together for fun. And if it turns out, that'll be great. If not, we just, no one, no one needs to know we ever worked on it, you know? And <laughs> so we had this, we had this idea of where I would write uh, like a scene for something and send it to him cold. Like he wouldn't know what it was, you know, and he would write the next scene and, it, and kind of try to like mess me up, you know, like <laughs> there was just this back and forth of, He'd write something and leave this crazy cliffhanger that made, you know, impossible to solve and would send it to me and I'd solve that and give it back to him. And it was like just this fun game of ping pong where we did that and wrote this 100 page graphic novel, you know, that way. Um, And then, of course, David had to be the guy to draw it because Matt and I both have worked with him in the past and we love his imagination. and, And this story has a real kind of Jack Kirby cosmic kind of feel to it and david just loves that stuff so um yeah i mean there it was really easy to work with man it always is we just we just have a blast trying to make each other laugh or try to mess the other person up and, and then that is also funny and trying to solve the, the story problems we throw out the other person so the whole thing was written like that where we just had a very loose idea of what this book was and um we kind of riffed on it back and forth and 
I know that that may sound like the final product is a complete mess, but it actually turned out <laughs> really well. So, uh, yeah, we're pretty happy with it. David's finished drawing the whole thing and coloring it, and I think we're going to get it all to printers pretty soon. That is awesome. Yeah, I, did, did the um, did, did the pandemic have anything like at play with like re- releasing it through Kickstarter? Was it just like, oh, why don't we try it now because we're not sure where, whether Diamond's going to continue to be able to distribute comics, or was that uh, always the plan to do it through Kickstarter? Well, it's kind of a coincidence. Uh, Matt had done uh, what did Matt done? A couple Kickstarter things that I can't remember what. There was board game, and he had done something else on Kickstarter just mm-hmm. because Matt Matt's kind of like that where he like like to try all these different i mean things. he sold an nft of uh of mind management yeah. so yeah 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 so he, he's just kind of like that you know and he, he was like he was just sort of always trying to sell me on how fun it was like you're kind of like self-publishing again you know like when we started uh and i was like yeah i don't know <laughs> you know i didn't want to do any of the work that went along with the kickstarter but he said he would do all the kind of the groundwork of, of getting it all set up and everything so i said why not and then of course the pandemic hit and you know, for a little while there, we weren't sure what, and you know, what, what the comics industry was going to become, but, um, but that was really a coincidence, the timing of it. It was really just this thing that had fun doing and, and talking into doing. So, and it, it you know, it was kind of cool. It was sort of this, this more direct kind of thing with our readers without a publisher in the middle. That was kind of fun. Um, oh, man, it's I don't so... know if I'd ever do it again on my own because it's a lot of work, you know, mm-hmm. but, uh, I was more than happy to let Matt do all that work and just <laughs> and just write the book. But yeah, nice. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm I'm mad stoked for it. I mean, uh, Rubin is perfect for it, and like you said, you both worked with him before on you with uh, Sherlock Frankenstein and him with Ether. So uh, yeah, that's awesome. Have you have you read? Had you read before you worked with, with David on uh, on the Black Hammer stuff? Had you read any of his like stuff and like that came over from Spain, like like the hero? hero volume one yeah stuff. i had what did i i'd seen something um let me think about the timing of that it's hard to remember what i'd seen before sherlock uh, yeah i mean he did the hero what? stuff he did beowulf i think i was at a i was at a convention in somewhere with paul pope years ago and paul had done oh the aurora west there. stuff yeah yeah and he was talking about this guy who's gonna do aurora west and me not knowing who that was you know and then i remember seeing that and being like oh this guy's really good uh and i think maybe matt had done or sorry, uh, David had done the first ether with Matt. It might not have been out yet, but he had started working on it to the point mm-hmm. where Star Course had shown me the work, or Matt had shown me the work. So I had seen that stuff, and then I went and grabbed. Um, I think it, is it called Hero? I forget yep. the one. Yes, yeah, the yeah, Hercules, yeah, the Hercules adaptation. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I was kind of. It all kind of happened where they were like, "Well, what about this guy drawing an issue?" And so then I went and checked out his stuff and fell in love with it right away. I mean, it's just so. And then you get to work with him, and he's one of the fastest artists he's so fast and so reliable which is hard to, you know sometimes hard to find you know where you can get someone who's that good but also that that consistent and reliable so it's like a when you find those creators you stick with them for sure <clears throat> david and vince giggle every time i bring up for bean's name because i have like a total man crush on the dude like <laughs> he can do no wrong in my book like like i honestly think he's yeah i don't i mean he's 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 fantastic so uh, wait till you see the cosmic detective stuff. Is, uh, aside from the nonsense Matt and I wrote, I mean, just visually, it's it's pretty impressive. He, he really upped his game on the on the book. I think it's it's pretty stunning. Sure. So so the other thing too, um, and it kind of gets around to a topic we already touched on, but like with your collaborators, 
as I look at at let's say the ones that you you seemingly have worked with repeatedly, like you've you've obviously worked with 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 Andrea Sorrentino now. You did stuff at DC, and then you did Gideon Falls, and and you have um, Primordial coming, and then you have Dustin, which you did. I mean, I guess Descender or Sender in your mind are one and the same, but you did those books, yeah. and I I know you've at least publicly said you have other ideas with Dustin. I don't know how far along they are, but you have plans for with him, and then. Yeah. You know, you've you've so you've you've got these these creators that you've worked with repeatedly, but like their styles are incredibly different, right? I mean, visually, they're just they're they're totally different. So, as a cartoonist yourself, do you like when you when you have an idea in your head? I mean, do you, do you, do you like try and match that up? I mean, where you say like like in other words, could you have envisioned doing Primordial? Did Primordial come to be because you're like I want to do something else with Andrea, and this kind of idea would be perfect for him? Or was yeah, it like, it was, okay, okay. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I generally, <clears throat> so the way it kind of works is there's the stuff that I draw myself, I kind of, that stuff all comes from a certain place, and I kind of know as I'm developing it that I'm going to be the one drawing it, and that tends to kind of lean, lean towards a certain type of story, you know. Um, and then with Dustin and Andrea, and uh, I'm doing a book with Gabriel Walta as well, so the, those three guys that I'm currently collaborating with, it's like, <clears throat> Yeah, we, we know that, you know, Descender was finishing, so I'm going to do something else with Dustin, and, and when Gideon was ending, I knew I was going to do something else with Andrea. So I specifically developed those ideas based on the stuff they like to draw and the sort of the, the, the something that's the right tone for their artwork and, and whatnot. And those would be things that, that generally I wouldn't draw myself, you know, because they're, they're not really suited to my style. So it all kind of fits in different places and they don't, there's not a weird crossover, you know, and it, it allows me to do different kinds of stories instead of just doing the same, same type of thing that I would do when I just draw my own stuff, you know? So, uh, you know, Dustin has things he does really well that I could never do. And same, the same with Andrea and Gabriel. So I, I, I kind of, I develop ideas based on their, their strengths for sure. Yeah, I, I, I uh, maybe it's inappropriate, but I joke that uh, Andre is like the alternative is, is how you save money on not going to a psychiatrist because he's like you, you work through your your deep dark uh, stuff with him. It seems like I mean Gideon falls yeah. obviously. Me and Andrea pretty- go dark, and then uh, me and Dustin go kind of heartfelt, sort of heartfelt but big world building stuff, you know. And and, uh, and then Gabriel and I are working on this thing that's really different from all from the other stuff that I'm super excited about so uh yeah i mean you, you kind of vent different parts of your personality through the different different kind of collaborators in the alley for sure yeah no doubt can you um i mean I, I we've read the solicits we've talked a bit about it on the show but could you maybe give uh the listeners a like little little, little elevator pitch on primordial which is uh upcoming with andrea yeah yeah uh so yeah the book i mean the, the high concept or the, the pitch of the book is that uh the first animals sent to space during the space race, uh, what if they'd been abducted by some unknown alien intelligence and altered or changed and, and, and now in our time, they're coming back. And that's kind of the story. It's sort of, you know, 2001 Space Odyssey meets We Three. But then there's also this whole uh, sort of Cold War um, espionage thriller kind of X-Files story going on too as well that we kind of juxtapose the, the kind of big kind of mind-bending cosmic space stuff with the animals with this really grounded kind of Cold War thriller that feels like you know like a 70s uh, you know conspiracy film or something so you have these kind of two two threads that are 
playing off each other and then kind of come together at the end. It's uh, yeah. So I use a lot of, you know, we use history as a starting point, you know, that we took like the first, the first uh, the dog and beast that the Soviets sent up and, and then the two primates that the U S sent up, Abel and Baker. And we kind of use all the events, the real, the real historical events from those two sort of things. And, and then, you know, extrapolate from there and change stuff. Uh, and, and do this cool sci-fi story with them. So I think after after Gideon, we had done horror for for a few years there together, and and we wanted to do something different, you know. So I thought <clears throat> I wanted to see Andrea do this real mind-bending kind of 2001: Space Odyssey sci-fi stuff, you know, where he can really spread his wings in a different way. And so I, I kind of came up with this idea, and I'd always wanted to do a a book where the protagonists were animals, you know, because I hadn't done that. I just felt for me as a writer, it was a good challenge to try something a little different too. And and it all kind of came together with this book. Yeah. I can't wait. I mean, Gideon Falls was fantastic uh, for what it's worth. I loved it. Um, Dark as hell, dude. I mean, but, uh, but really, really played well to Sorrentino's uh, cartooning style. So yeah. Yeah. He's incredible. Now that one, I mean, I know that that was in some kind of development. Is that one of the the unfortunate IP that that like never made it across the finish line? No, a lot of these things. But the truth is, they just take a long time. So mm-hmm. you know, like with, with Essex, it's been five years of development, and we're finally just now getting to the point where we're going to shoot it. You know, so Gideon and and uh, you know Black Hammer and Descender, some of these books have only been in development for a year or two so the truth is it might it might be a few more years before there's any sort of fruit on the vine you know but yeah they're all still in development Gideon's still in development and oh uh, cool okay yeah yeah it just takes a long time you know hollywood moves so much slower than comics you know comics is so immediate where you know matt and i can get an idea at a convention to do this book together and then a year later it's, it's being printed you know and that's I, you know the more the more tv film stuff i do the more i, I really appreciate the immediacy of comics, even mm-hmm. more than I, than I already did. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, a, a lot of the stuff, I guess that's obviously that we've been talking about is, is, is kind of the opposite of the slice of life stuff, like in Essex County. Um, you know, you've kind of revisited that recently with, you did the, the six issues of sweet tooth return, but, um, but I don't know that we, I forget. Cause I know you were, you were on maybe like two, two and a half years ago, but I forget where Royal city was in that chronology. Um, but you know, that's probably like the last slice of life, kind of more personal thing I think you've done that I can think of. Yeah. Um, yeah. Royal City was a big one. And then I did, what did I do after that? I think I did, uh, oh my God. <laughs> I did. Yeah. I guess it probably would have been the maze book that I did next. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. So maze book, right. Thought, which is it, you've probably, yeah. you probably wrote four years ago, but, but we're, yeah. we're going to see it soon. That's a five, it's gonna be a five issue book that you're writing and drawing and and as i saw from the solicits basically the the protagonist loses his daughter and then kind of goes on a journey because of that yeah so i mean yeah i'd done may's book before sweet tooth the return actually but then with with the weird scheduling of vertigo or black label and and whatnot it just worked out it seemed it made more sense to put sweet tooth up first but so yeah i done may's book is uh it's kind of a weird one it's probably the of all my books, it's probably the closest to uh, Underwater Walder, I'd say. And in, in, in a lot of ways, they're they're kind of bookends to each other, you know. Where um, Walder was about this this young man who was, you know, 
uh, feeling the pressure of becoming a parent and, and, and all this stuff. And whereas in these books, kind of the flip side, where it's like this guy in middle age or, or a little past middle age who was a parent and kind of really fucked it up. And, and his daughter was, you know, he lost his daughter to illness and now he's sort of isolated and shut off from the world. Uh, and that's where we find him when the story starts and he gets this crazy idea that his daughter's still alive and that she loved doing puzzles and mazes. And he gets, you get the phone call one night that he thinks is from her telling him to come find her. And, uh, he takes the last maze she was working on that she never finished before she died and layers it over a map of the city and starts following the maze through the streets of the city. And as he does, he kind of enters this other kind of reality just below the surface of, of everyday life and goes on this really strange sort of odyssey to find her. Yeah, it's, it's a very strange book. I, <laughs> I have no idea where it came from, but it's, it was one of the more enjoyable things I've ever done, for sure. Yeah. Um, I, I love every minute of drawing that book. It sounds great. Now, am I safe in assuming that the concept of the puzzle and the maze is going to play heavily into the design and the uh, the, big time, yeah. Oh, nice. I just love, yeah. I love the, uh, I love the graphic element of the ma- of a maze. You know, it's such a wonderful looking, cool thing, and I just started to see the potential of using that in the way you do layouts on a page, or, or you know, the language of comics to kind of play with that, and right. got me really excited. And then I, I just kind of really went for it. And yeah, I mean, there's there are certain pages. I, I think I teased this online once, but there there's whole sequence in the book where if you were to take the pages out of the book and lay them out on the floor, they actually, the pages connect to one another to form, you know, stuff like that. And I just kind of went nuts with that stuff. And it was so fun to do. (laughs) I, uh, yeah, it was, it it made a dark story and it's kind of heartfelt and, and everything and intense, but visually it, it was so much fun to do that book. And yeah, it's coming out from, from dark horse, uh, it's uh, five issues, but each issue is, is 50 pages, so it's, it's a big book, yeah. Damn. And will that be uh, eventually collected in hardcover format? <laughs> That's for sure. Yeah, it will be a hardcover format. Nice. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Do you, Jeff, uh, do you have say in, like, because uh, a lot of times we'll be doing the show and we'll say, man, you know, I, I hope that whatever book we're loving at the time, like, I hope that comes out in a hardcover and then sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. Do you do you at this point in your career like have control over that? Like, can you say to Dark Horse like, "Hey, everything I do for you guys or, or is going to be hardcover"? Yeah, for <clears throat> for Dark Horse and Image, I kind of I have a say in that, you know, for sure. And 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 it's a, it, sometimes it's a conversation where they say, "Well, yeah, we would we could do that, but it would cost this much," and you know, you know, so it's like a business decision too. But you know. And with that stuff, I do have a say in it. Whereas with you know the Marvel and DC stuff I've done, even even the stuff that I own myself, like Sweet Tooth or or whatever from Vertigo, uh, I don't have really anything in <laughs> that kind of stuff, you know, in the right. format or the different volumes. So, um, but yeah, with 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 this, you know, with the uh, the image stuff and the darker stuff at this point, yeah, pretty much I do. I can I can kind of call those shots, which is really cool. Is that why um, Black Hammer Justice League was a hardcover? Because it's pretty much published by Dark Horse. Yeah, that one I didn't. The, I guess because Justice League was involved or something. I, I think DC wanted a hardcover, you know, and so that one. That's why that one kind of went hardcover, whereas everything else has been sort of soft cover first with that um, 
yeah, sort of with an outlier in that way. And the hardcover is great. I, I mean, I, I was flipping through it leading up to uh, leading up to tonight, and how much. Um, obviously, half of it is 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 your creation, and the other half is, of course, DC property. Was there a lot of? Um, were you able to just have fun with it, or was there a lot yeah, of? Yeah, uh, there was. There wasn't a ton. I think Dark Horse pretty much ran. Ran. You know, they edited the book and stuff. They just had to run stuff by DC. So, for the most part, I had free reign. Um, I couldn't swear, which I like to do in the regular Black Hammer series. <laughs> well, he played it uh, off well because because even when. When 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 Barry starts swearing, Green Lantern's like, "I never hear you swear." So it's it's it, it made sense in in context of the story. Yeah, the only thing I could there was a couple of things I couldn't do, like, uh, but sometimes they work out. You know, I, I had uh, I think I wanted Shazam to be in it because you know Golden Gale and, and Shazam. Sure. There's the, but uh, DC I, for whatever reason they had something else going on with Shazam. They just didn't want him in other things at the time, so I used Zatanna instead, and that was fun. Um, there's little things like that, but yeah, in terms of like the story and some things, like they never, they never really got involved with it. Yeah. Okay. You mentioned in a interview not too long ago that you and Dustin Nguyen had like a little short project at DC that you guys wanted to quote unquote get out of your system. Um, is that still happening? And and has that been made public? <laughs> it has. Yeah. So it's not public public but i might announce it here tonight just because i didn't give a fuck what dc says <laughs> uh so yeah we're doing this thing uh they're gonna announce it next month but it's um uh, i can't i can't do it should i <laughs> i mean listen we we're a tiny little show nobody listens yeah <laughs> yeah so i guess well actually you know I, I have two two dc things left coming out that i did i mean i wrote them both over a year ago uh and they'll probably be my last two DC books for a while, but um, one of them's with Doug Mankey, and I think they're going to announce that one next month. Uh, and I'm excited about that. That's a three-issue black, la- black label thing. Uh, and then the Dustin, the one with Dustin is three issues as well, and I think they're announcing that in like a week or two. And, yeah, I can't, I can't really say what it is because it's going to, I'll get in trouble. But, yeah, Jeff, it's, come it's, on, it, bruh. <laughs> it, might have, it might have something to do with that, you know? Okay, there we go. Well, doesn't everything at DC? Exactly. You have to. <laughs> That's so, true. My, my uh, black label book is not Batman centric, thankfully. But yeah, it's uh, yeah the the thing. Dustin, you know, Dustin, if you follow Dustin's career, you know, loves for Batman. And, uh, I had I had this Robin story that I really wanted to do for a long time. Um, <clears throat> finally, it kind of lined up for us to do that. So that should be that'll be coming out. I think November, December. Nice. That's awesome. And then Dustin and I are on to back to create our own land after that. So we've started working on our next big series for Image that we're going to do uh, right after that. So <clears throat> that'll you know probably come out next next summer or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. But it's, it's very different from December. It's a completely different genre, and uh, we're pretty excited about that one too. Right on. So you you um, I mean it sounds like May's book is is a wrap for you. You've already drawn it all too already. So um, yeah, I drew that one a while ago. Yeah. Okay. So so you, I know you you can't you can't not have a project that you're also drawing. Um, yeah. When will we? What, I, I you probably can't tell us today about it, but when will we get an inkling here for what it is? And is it going to be long form? Yeah. It's super long. It's uh, yeah. I'm 200 pages into the next thing, and it's uh, okay. 
it's it's probably going to be the the longest book I've drawn since Sweet Tooth. You know, it, I, it's right now looking to be five or six pages long, so it's, it's a big one, um, and it's very much a return to the sort of Essex County territory of things. You know, um, I. I I think I'll probably announce it or start talking about it a little bit, uh, like September, October ish. Okay. So yeah, but we're getting close to me being able to start teasing that one a bit more for sure. Image, image, or to be determined, or CBD. But yeah, I mean, I think mostly everything will be image now, except for the Black Hammer stuff. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Right on. Right on. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, I guess I will look forward to that. I, I will. I will have to hold our. We'll have to, to hold ourselves in abeyance and wait for, for everyone else, like, like everyone else, to, to find out. That's cool. That's cool, Jeff. That's all yeah. good. <laughs> you guys got to wait. You got to wait. Just like everybody else, Jason. I know. Uh, because oh, you've yeah, – sit down, Jason. Because you've been um, <laughs> a creative individual for so long, um, have you noticed any – evolution in your creative process both writing and or drawing uh are there things that you used to do little rituals you used to perform before in the early days that you would scoff at now like why did i waste my time doing that i uh, basically have you uh perceived any kind of evolution in your creative process for the better or for the worse for the better yeah i mean you learn the more you do something the more you learn how to how to navigate it all, but you know, I think, I mean, in terms of me being a writer, I've always written kind of the same way, where I write very, very fast and it's very immediate, and and that hasn't really changed. But in terms of drawing, I think I just used to torture myself over things that now I just kind of accept that it's who I am and how I draw, and I just awesome. embrace it, and yeah. and uh, and I don't get caught up in the small things and, and get so emotional about stuff. When I'm drawing anymore, and I just kind of, I'm just a lot more even keel, I think, emotionally than I was when I was younger. You know, so I can just kind of relax and, and do my thing and get into a rhythm with it. Um, whereas, be, you know, when I when you're younger, every little kind of setback or every every time you have a problem on the drawing board, you, you take it so personally and, and emotionally, and it can really like throw off your whole week or whatever. Whereas now, you just kind of take things in stride, you know, and you don't get too high or too low. You just kind of do your thing. That's kind of a nice, a nice thing. You know? um, but yeah, I mean, in terms of writing, I don't know that that's changed a whole lot, to be honest. Except that now, mostly, I just write my own stuff, which is nice, and I'm not, I'm not trying to write, you know, the Marvel or DC stuff and please an editor and fit into the continuity and all that stuff, which can be a headache. And you, you can exert a lot of energy doing that stuff, where when you're free of it and you can just do your own project, uh, it can be, you know, very liberating and kind of free up a lot of space in your brain to actually just work on the creative stuff, you know, and not right. navigate the politics of, I don't know, you know, work at DC or Marvel and, and fit in with those companies. I guess a, a, a large amount of, of, um, the, the, the process could be attributed to the success you've had. Uh, the, the deservedly. So, uh, I mean, when, when a lot of people, find something in your work worth um championing you kind of say well why did i sweat that little thing i'm just going to be me obviously there's there's a, an audience yeah. for me right so yeah i think it's, yeah i mean it, you know success does uh, it it helps for sure yeah <laughs> you know it's uh, i mean 
yeah, when you, you now I'm, you know, almost 15 years into publishing comics professionally, I think, or something like that, maybe longer now. And, um, you know, I've had enough successes and stuff and, and done enough work that I, I know that there's an audience for what I do. And, and uh, so, yeah, you can just kind of be true to yourself and do your thing and, and know that you're going to be okay. And that's a very fortunate place to be. Obviously not, not everyone gets there. And, um, and I, I don't take that for granted, you know, right. every day I'm super, super thankful when I get to wake up and, and go to the studio and, and just do stuff that I want to do every day. I know that not everyone gets to do that. And uh, it's a really you know, super fortunate spot to be in, but it also, yeah, it does. It, it, it helps you feel confident and the more confident you feel, the better work you do generally, you know, right. um, because you're not, you're not second guessing everything and, 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 you know, overthinking things, you can just kind of do, do what you do, you know? And, and that's again, a super liberating thing to, to be able to, a super liberating place to be able to go come from creatively each day. Right. I gotta say, um, the, the the tone of your voice uh, you sound very relaxed and yeah. and to to, yeah. to be honest you weren't always that way i mean when no, you came I, on with us yeah no i you know i've changed a lot i think i yeah you know when you're younger you you know you you're so hungry for to, to do things and you just have different motivations and a lot of anxiety and and things about building a career and and not making the wrong move or misstepping or doing the wrong projects and stuff. And then, you know, when you get 20 years into things and you've had enough right. successes that you don't have to stress about those things anymore, uh, it really frees you up. And, and yeah, I mean, and just, you know, not, not to get into my personal life at all, but I'm just in such a good spot there too, where I'm just so happy. And, uh, and yeah, I guess in, in my, in my middle age, I'm, I'm relaxed. Acting and <laughs> enjoying my life, you know, a little bit more than I did when I was younger, where I was just constantly, you know, grinding out the next project and trying to trying right. to build a career, you know. I, I guess I've built my career now, and I can just enjoy having it, which is a, <laughs> you know, super nice thing to have. Right, you've changed comics, you got some success. Now we're all <laughs> we're all happy. We're all the better for it. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, it, it comes with age too. You, you stop stressing the little things as much because you know you just have more experience and and, uh, and you just yeah you just kind of you realize that you, it's in the, the day the next project you do isn't going to make or break you it's just going right. to be a book that people will read and either enjoy it or not and your life will go on you know or it's, when you're younger everything kind of feels a little more you know yeah it's just your emotions get caught up more right. and all that stuff and, and yeah trying to build a career and, and all that stuff can be stressful in, in any, you know, in any, any industry, but comics as well. So super competitive and, uh, you know, there's a lot of negativity out there, you know, oh, yeah. stuff, and you just have to navigate it. But now I'm kind of, don't, don't freak out about that stuff anymore. Like I used to. Yeah. I mean, and, and this is more of an observation. I mean, you don't have to necessarily answer this in any, any great detail, but it, it, I would imagine because you've gotten to a point where you can do your own stuff, like, is it, it must be nice to not have to play the, the, the very political games of being at the big two. Right. Cause I know there's, we have good friends that are like spend most of their careers, at the big two. So I'm not saying it's not a, a place you can or, or shouldn't like want to aspire to work at for others that are listening. But, but it seems to me like to, to be at those places, there is very much more of a, like, I got to play the game. I got to, I got to, 
make nice with the right people. I got to not upset the other people. And like for, it sounds like, you know, you you kind of have your own ecosystem now. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's uh, you spend a lot of energy on that stuff, um, navigating different personalities and, and, uh, you know, different collaborators and 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 editors and right. Yeah. Different editors and, and the corporate structure of it all. And, you know, and you don't realize how much energy you, uh, you put into that stuff until you don't have to do it anymore. And, and then when you can just, yeah, like you said, I have my own ecosystem where it's just me doing my own stuff, working with several artists whom I, I love as people and as friends and as artists. And I can just, we can just have fun creating amazing stuff together that we own. Like, where's the stress, you know, it's, it's like, it's kind of a dream, you know, and it's good to let go of that other stuff. Cause there, it is kind of like a, it feels a bit like a treadmill after a while. The Marvel and DC stuff is like, okay, what book am I going to write next? What book am I going to write next? You know, and it's like, it just kind of never ends, you know. And, and when you can get off that and, and kind of do your own thing and have some, enough success with it where you don't need that other stuff anymore, it's it's super freeing and uh, and relaxing. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if, if like, I, I have no idea if this is actually something that matters, but it seems to me that, like, if I think about the people that have um, been most successful in breaking free of that of that big two model and just going all creator and like most of you seem to have also an artistic vibe right like most of you like you know you of course being a part of it scotty matt like like in the sense that you just you you also like you know how to create a comic lock stock and barrel like i feel like it's it seems harder or there's less examples of people that are just purely writers like i'm just going to type up a script I don't draw at all. Like, it seems like that's a harder road to hoe. I mean, may- maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm not just not thinking well, of the right people, but I, no, there might be some, you know, I'm, I think Scotty and, and, and Matt and I, if you, you know, using us as examples, the three of us all started outside of Marvel and DC drawing and writing our own stuff, you know, and making our own comics before we got into that stuff. So we were already kind of, we'd already found our voice and sort of were, fully formed before we got into Marvel and DC stuff. So, um, so it wasn't like we, we built everything and found everything working with those characters and within that structure. We, so I think it's easy for us, easier for us to step outside it and keep going and keep doing yeah. things. Maybe. Um, but yeah, and then, you know, I mean, uh, all this sounds, I hope, I hope this all doesn't sound like I am bashing Marvel and DC. And no, not and at all. Them. No, I don't think so. I, had, mm-hmm. I met a lot of amazing people, and work with some awesome people doing that stuff. And that's a really, really gratifying projects. You know, look at animal man or moon Knight or green arrow. Like those are, I hold those up with all my other stuff as things I just love, you know, and I love doing them. And, um, so yeah, it's, it's not all negative by any means. It's just a matter of, it's just nice now to, to kind of, you know, be in total control of your own projects and not have to, you know, uh, navigate so many different things. And, um, yeah, you know, you've, like I said earlier, I mean, I just did two short DC things, you know, and yeah. it was a lot of fun, fun to do both of those, you know, and, uh, I, it's certainly not, a, it may sound negative, but it, my, my view on those companies aren't negative. It's just me personally. Sure. I'm much happier doing my own thing. Yeah, sure. no, I think that comes through. So my, my wife is a biologist by trade and she always talks about rate limiters. So I'm wondering, like looking at your schedule and how much stuff you put out, like, have you figured out what your rate limit is? Like, like how, how many, how many projects or books can you, can you conceivably work on effectively at once? Yeah, I know. I know. I, you know, you never know, you never know what it is until you take that one project too many and suddenly you're stressed about it. So it's, uh, that's always what it is for me where I'm, 
usually pretty relaxed and comfortable with my schedule. And then you take one more project and all of a sudden everything is stressful and you know, you've taken one too many projects, you know, and I, I've done enough of that to know that probably my, my comfort zone is uh, writing and drawing one book, you know, all the time on my own. And I, I usually do about five pages a week of my own thing, you know, that I'm drawing. And then, and then probably writing three books besides that where I write, usually focus on one of those books each month. So I'll work on whatever the thing I'm doing with Dustin is. I'll work on one month and then I'll jump to the, the book I'm doing with Andrea the next month. So at any given time, really only ever writing and drawing my book and then, and then working on scripts for one other project, you know, and that's, that's kind of my, my comfort zone. Okay. So you're, you're the kind of guy that you don't mix your corn and your mashed potatoes into one forkful. Like you eat the corn, then you eat the mashed potatoes. Like you, you do one project then you kind of segment it and do go to another project. It sounds like. Yeah. I, I, I like to work really far ahead of my artist so that I can, I can uh, deep dive into one project at a time and just get really into the one story and one world and, and kind of get all my ideas for that out, you know, and then put it aside and move to the, move on to another one. And, um, and I never have to worry about deadlines that way, and, and I don't have to mix mix projects or, or get stressed about them. Do you just have to, like, was there a point as you were making the transition from writer-artist to person who is a writer-artist and also writes for lots of other people, where you kind of just had to, like, hand, hand off the, like, like the, the creative pull that you have as, as a writer-artist? Meaning, like, I'm sure now it's probably wrote because you've been doing it for a long time, but, like, was there a point where you're like, man, like, I wouldn't have drawn it that way or that's not how I saw it, but they're doing it this way. Like, was there a, can you think of a point where you were like, nah, I'm good. Like, whatever they want to, like, they're going to draw it much differently than I would have if I were drawing it, but that's cool. Like, do you, can you think of a time when, was it just gradual? No, it was, was it no, not a problem at all? It was always all, like that, I think, because okay. um, the thing was, like, I never stopped drawing my own stuff. There was sure. never, there's never been a point in my entire career where I wasn't drawing a book, you know? Um, so, I mean, that part of me creatively was always satisfied. You know, I was always drawing my own thing. So I didn't feel the need to, to draw every other book I was writing, you know, because I was already kind of scratching that itch every day. Uh, and also the stuff that I draw tends to be a very specific kind of story. And it's very suited to the way I draw, you know, and, and then writing the other stuff that I write for other artists would be stuff that I wouldn't, I probably wouldn't excel at drawing, you know, it wouldn't suit my style and, and my strengths and my weaknesses as an artist. So there were very different kinds of stories mostly. Um, so it was very easy to let go. I mean, there was, I mean, maybe the very first projects I did at DC when I had never written for another artist before, it was kind of weird for the first few issues where I was like, Oh, that's not how I would do the layouts or whatever. But then you, you instantly kind of realize, Oh, wait a minute. It's okay. You got to let, I get to draw my own thing over here. You got to let these artists. Yeah do do what they do well you know and, and that's how you're going to get the best work out of them and, and then you just it's very easy to segment the projects like that because the stuff i draw myself is a very specific kind of thing and then everything else i wouldn't be great at drawing at anyway so it's great to work with these these different artists and let them let them all kind of play to their strengths and do their thing mm-hmm. do you i mean with your schedule and, and being as busy as you are do you do you still find the time to be a comic book fan? Like, do you, do you read lots of other comics by the creators? Uh, I do, but it tends to come in waves where, mm-hmm. uh, I'll, you know, you know, Monday to Friday, I'm in my studio from, from 8 a.m. to 5 or whatever. So I'm, I'm kind of thinking comics all day, right? And uh, 
And then when I come home and, you know, you do what you do with your family and spend time with them. When I do have time to read at night, uh, I kind of don't want to read comics because I, it's hard for me just to read comics and enjoy them. Because uh, I'm always, you know, then I start working, I start thinking about why they, they do the things they do. <laughs> sure. it's, it's more like work. So it's, it's not, so I tend to kind of save up my comics and then I'll have uh, a month or in the summer like I am right now where I kind of take a break from the studio stuff and I'm not drawing every day. And then I'll just read a bunch of comics. I'll just catch up on everything from the year that I've been hearing about that was supposed to be great and, and just read like stacks and stacks of stuff uh, in a big burst, you know, and get kind of really inspired to go back and start drawing again. Uh, but for the most part, when I'm not, when I am in the studio and working, uh, I tend to read prose and nonfiction and stuff just because I can kind of shut that part of my comics brain off and just, just read for enjoyment that way. Uh, but yeah, so I, I do tend to read in big bursts like that. And I have a big stack of stuff right now. I'm, I'm excited to start reading. So. Nice. Um, yeah, I mean, that's cool. Because like, I always, I always get bummed when we, we'll have creators on and then be like, yeah, I haven't read a comic in like five years. And I think, oh, that's a bummer, man. Like, yeah, you know. I, I, I love comics. It's just, it's more of, uh, yeah, it's kind of, it comes in waves. Like uh, the last year, you know, I've been really inspired by like stuff like James James Tynan stuff, for instance, has been really inspiring to me. Hell of a role, right? Drunk. He's he's having a hell of a yeah, yeah. He's on fire, and the stuff is fantastic. And every everything, he's, all the success he's having is so earned because the books are so good. And and, and you read his books, and it it makes you want to do great books too. You know, it's inspiring. So I mean, I love comics. You know, and and, uh, and there are certain there are certain creators who. I always will read their stuff, you know, Brubaker and Phillips, everything they do. I have to read. You know? Yeah. They were, our, um, they were not, no, no disrespect to you, but they were our consensus. The three of us picked them as our creators of the year last year. Like they were, they just, yeah, I mean, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. They're, they're, they're legendary. They're awesome. Like there, there's not a better team, you know, they're, they're so great. Yeah. Uh, so I read everything they do. And, and, uh, there's an Italian cartoonist named GP. I don't know if you guys know GP. Sure. But, yeah. Mm-hmm. Anything he does, I have to check out right away, you know. Um, and then once in a while, there'll just be something really fun that sounds great, like this this new Grant Morrison book that came out this week. I really want to read the uh, the Authority Superman one. So, you know, I, yeah, I mean, I love comics. I just, uh, like anything, I kind of do it in big waves and get really into something, and then I, I kind of <laughs> yeah. set it aside for a bit and, and read other stuff. Because I think it's also important not to just read comics, you know. Cause, um, you got to draw influence and inspiration from all sorts of things outside of comics too or else you're just kind of you know recycling ideas you know so for sure and i know you and i both share a love of original art because we've exchanged sort of excited pics of stuff we've gotten i always say that i get super jealous of people like you that can like trade your own art for other awesome art i'd have to trade dollars for art but <laughs> but either way um have you been like have you been getting anything right recently like anything yeah i slowed down because honestly i got a big studio but it is full like i have i have <laughs> no and uh there's always portfolios so, that's what i tell my wife i have uh, yeah stacks of portfolios i don't enjoy that as much though because it's like you, you don't see it you know you don't i like seeing my stuff every day sure. on the walls around me you know so uh but yeah i mean like, you know i have slowed down a little bit um uh most of the stuff I buy now would be stuff that, you know, really cool covers from Black Hammer or something that, that I've worked on that I just really loved. Uh, yeah, I want to get dibs stuff. on, yeah. Yeah, stuff like that. But, you know, I, and I, and I kind of have like a list, like a dream list of 
all my favorite artists and I wanted to get, you know, one piece by all these people and I've kind of almost done it. You know, there's just a couple nice. left that I don't, you know, but I, I got a crisis on internet stage last year. That was kind of on my, my list of things I always dreamed of having, you know, and I got that and I was like, okay, I'm good. You know, I, so I kind of slowed down a little bit this last year or so on, on the original art, but it's, it's, it's all, I'm always tempted, put it that way too. I'm always tempted to buy things. I was going to say, I don't know what the opposite of slowing down is, but that would be me. <laughs> so, <laughs> God bless you. Yeah, no, it's, 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 it's definitely an addiction, but I figure it's a much better addiction than many other things that one could be addicted to. So, yeah. True. Nice. Well, listen, we have taken up a lot of your time this evening, and uh, keeping in mind that it is your vacation week, the one week you allow yourself to relax. Yeah, um, that's I like. I like to spend it with you guys. So see, uh, we are honored by that, so... Um, well, listen, man, thank you so much for coming on. And uh, it's always great to talk to you and catch up. And, you know, we've always got mad love for the stuff that you're doing. So, um, you know, we, we can't wait to uh, see you face to face in 2022 at some convention somewhere, whether it be New York or San Diego or who knows. But we'll hopefully be able to yeah, we'll see each other to, in person. Try to talk more regularly and not leave it for another three or four years or whatever it's been since I've been there. Yeah. Yeah, let's do that. Yeah, no, we'd love uh, absolutely. We love it. You know, we just don't. We never want to be pests, but uh, we'd love to have you back on, especially once uh, once your your new long form project is uh, public and 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 this next round of things that you're uh, you're already currently working on, but are be able to to talk about. We'd love to have you back. Yeah, on, so. we're excited yeah. about all of them. They're they're hopefully really cool projects. I guess. You know, there'll be a new Sorrentino book, a new After Primordial. You know, started on something and uh and then my book with dustin and one with walter so yeah i mean those are pretty great collaborators to have and i I suppose if you knew you couldn't tell us but i mean still no official word on follow-on seasons from sweet tooth but i would imagine with netflix saying that uh more than 60 million households have seen it it would be pretty ridiculous to think there won't be more I am unable to answer that question. Fair enough. I had to try. <laughs> <Not a lot. laughs> try. <laughs> Either way, I'm going to go out on a limb and say we're going to see more because it would be pretty bad business <laughs> to uh, have show that popular and not do another season. But anyway, thanks so much for coming on, man, and uh, all the best, and, and we will definitely talk to you soon. All right, guys. Thanks. Take care. Thank you, Jeff. Have a good night, Jeff. How about that? Yep. Oh, man. Good stuff, Jason. You have redeemed yourself. Not only in my eyes, but the eyes of the listeners. I, or the ears of the listeners. <laughs> you're taking me way you're taking me way too serious tonight. Pull nice. back. Pull back. <laughs> um listen, how like there aren't too many I was trying to think about this. There aren't too many people that have been as prolific as him like ever. Right. Right, like, like I'm not saying like if you take the length of their career, sure, because if their careers were like 50, 40, 50 years, but I mean, like, how, like, it's ridiculous. Yeah, I want to say even the the most prolific guys don't match his output. Um, Hickman, right, always seems but, to be working but, on something, but it's like a fraction of what Jeff works on. Right, Hickman doesn't draw. Right, right, right. Like but I guess thing. the uh, yeah. so who would you say would be the rival? Would be Kent, maybe. I mean, yeah, I it, mean, Kent is very prolific, but I don't think as prolific. No, no, you're right. 
Um, I, I mean, I mean, of late, uh, and Jeff mentions him in the interview. I mean, James Tynan in the last eighteen months has has written like five, six books a month. Yeah, I mean, he's Al not Ewing's written a bunch of books, but they don't draw. That's the right, thing. right, so, right. I don't know. I I think he's a singular entity. He's going to when it, when the dust settles and you know um, we we start assessing the. Uh, the impact of of certain talents. That's why I told him he changed comics. I, I think Lemire yeah. definitely had a very positive impact on the medium. From uh, the the Invisible Man, the, the Essex County days when he showed us yeah. that you didn't have to be a Michelangelo or a P. Craig Russell to tell comics. Like there's a uh, there are there's a room for for every voice out there and they don't have to all be eloquent i'm not saying jeff's isn't but he in the beginning he had a very rough shod very yep. gruff and 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 uh uh earthy tone to his voice which he mm-hmm. still re- retained but now he he instead of just barking and grunting he's using very uh evolved language but he still has the foot in the in the primeval right uh that's i don't think his his visual style has changed all that much from the the early days i think obviously his writing style has but visually i think he's still the same man with a little tweak here or there but for the most part he's still speaking that same visual language i agree because like with sweet tooth the return which we just saw it's i don't think visually much different than what we saw from Trillium or Sweet Tooth back back in the right, day. Right, right. I think Trillium's underrated. I love that book. Yeah, I mean, I think that's probably like the least talked about of his works. And yeah. Uh, that and maybe Underwater Welder, and they're both phenomenal yeah. in their own ways. Yeah. Uh, what up? Barking. What up, pup? It's my damn kids. You know, I used to have kids that like went to bed. Like, I feel like I'm Vince now. Like, my kids used to go to bed. Now they don't go to bed. Like, they're just like, walking around at all hours. Yeah, you don't want to be Vince. Yeah. But like you said, Vince, I mean, the cool thing about having Jeff on or, or some of the other creators that we've been, been talking to for a long time is like, it's really fun to think back about the, like, not that we, I mean, not that we've had a part in his career, but like we have helped chronicle different aspects. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we yeah. are the, we are the fanzine. That's what we are. Yeah, that's, that's fair, right? Like, cause I remember, even I remember with Windy City Comic Con, like he had just started Sweet Tooth. And Kent had just put out. Um, he had just put out. Uh, My the, management? No, it had to be. Before no, that. no, no. Um, Pistol Whip. Pistol Whip. That thing. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I think the tooth was solicited, but like neither of them had done any kind of like they didn't do the Valiant stuff. They hadn't done Marvel and DC. You know, they were just two indie guys, like just doing their shit, and they were buddies. And it was like, and uh, it's just amazing. Like, I mean, you guys. Were, I mean. When we had Jeff on that time, and he was like, "Yeah, I love superheroes," and we riffed about that. We're like, "Oh, what would you if you could write a superhero book? What would it be?" And he would talk about like, "Yeah, I got ideas for." And like, and then you just think about that. Now it's been more than a decade, and he's like, gotten out of his system, and now he's like, "No, I'm good. I I did that." It's just it's crazy to think about. I mean, what it basically comes down to is that we're old and busted, and we've done this for a long time. Yep, we aren't busted though. Nah, but we've done it for a long time. Yep. But you could definitely, if you guys go back and plunder uh, the EOC archives, there's a definite low point for Mr. Lemire in the 
in the uh the just just the tone and timber of his voice like he's he's feeling some kind of way at one point and then he yeah. he gets out of it you know and and it's it's neat to be able to just line them all up and listen from the first appearance of this one just you, you can you can hear the evolution yeah. of 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 the creative individual that is jeff lemire it's great stuff yep yeah, yeah. no for sure and and it, it always warms my heart like when he's like all right let's not make it you know, three years next time. And it's like, that's nice to hear, you know? Because, yeah. yeah. And he means I mean, it too. He certainly he's doesn't just... need to do our show anymore. Like, that's right. not like it helps him sell books, but. Right. Right. But we don't have to help this other place sell books either because it's discount comic book service. Truth. The books are going to sell themselves because you can get them as cheap as possible, allowed by law. Get them delivered right to your front door with a teeny, eensy, no effort at all. Uh, remember, these are the books you should be writing down. One of them you heard about. From Dark Horse, it's May's book, number one of five. Jeff Lemire, five ninety nine cover price. Like Jeff said, it's 50 pages an issue. Uh, your price is $2.99. From Behemoth, Nobody's Child, number one of six. You're going to pay not three ninety nine cover price. You're going to bring it home for $2.19. That's forty five percent off, and gravity affects the the breasts on the front of this book. It's uh, Adam Hughes doing Vampirella, but this is the new cross, the new pan dimensional Vampirella. It's called Vampiverse Number One. It's a dollar ninety nine. DCBService.com. Go there. Uh, in your travels, I got a little bit of a th- well, not a little bit. I have a definite thank you. I want to thank Arnie. Because Arnie sent me one of the Vertigo crime books. Uh, And this is uh, A Sickness in the Family, which is written by Denise Mina and illustrated by Antonio Fuso. And I read it. I read it, but I'm not going to talk about it right now. I thought it was uh, very disturbing. So right up my damn alley. I loved it. But I got to thank Arnie for sending me this. Uh, what I did read, and it is cheerful. Well, it's not cheerful. It's visually cheerful. True. Yes. It is um, written by John Lehman, illustrated by Nick Bradshaw, and you have some uh, beautiful color work by Len O'Grady. It's called Bermuda, and it comes out of IDW. It's not a very complex book. Um, the children of a very, very rich man uh, are brought down during a extre- an extremely violent storm. Their plane uh, is, is, is blown apart, lightning apart, whatever you want to call it. And they find themselves um, on the shore of this, this island. It's like, okay. And th- there are two children. Uh, a boy and a girl, Bobby and Andy. Uh, Andy I is the girl. <laughs> and um, Bobby washes up on shore and he, he finds himself, uh, he's very confused, obviously, uh, finds himself in the presence of a young woman with shocking scarlet hair. She's festooned with weaponry and she tells him, um, you know, we better get the hell off this beach because the murs are going to come. And he's like, I don't understand what's happening. What's going on? Well, the mers are actually mermen. And they, they, they ride gigantic uh, dinosaur-type creatures. And they are slavers. 
So uh, she helps him to to get out. Um, it, it, th- this is not going to stretch uh, the narrative uh, uh, aspects of the medium at all. This is traditional pulp storytelling. Uh, they you know kids find themselves in a uh, strangers in a strange land with fantastic creatures and dinosaurs and a gigantic chameleon type mount on which. Um, Bermuda and and uh, the young man ride and there's backstory but the real selling point here is not to slight John Layman it's a cool story but again it you know it it's it, it's part of a tradition but visually oh my goodness Bradshaw just nails it to the wall <laughs> it, the, the art is ridiculous <laughs> I, I and the words that that are going to drizzle out of my mouth are not going to do justice to what you're going to see on the page. You're just going to have to go buy this. I could say it's detailed, okay, wow. I, I I could say it's 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 extremely well composed. There's one panel where we see the remnants of uh what what could be a, a pirate ship, and it's covered with with moss and lichen and all sorts of greenery and and the the ship um blends into the the wreckage of an old car and it's surrounded by trees and then you see uh steps leading down to another area and a dock and an old uh, busted up airplane that's now you know it, it's amazing um if you saw Legendary's King Kong, you kind of sort of get the feel of what the 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 native um, uh, the village was kind of like in in that. But I mean, this is even better than that. It is just amazing, and it's all from Bradshaw's mind, and it's gorgeous. That's it is gorgeous. Yeah, it's and I mean, and and I love you know. Love the line work that Bradshaw's laying down here, but I mean the the colors, especially when you're introduced to Cami, and and obviously it's a chameleon, so there's gonna be a lot of blending and everything. It's just it's it's all together. It's it's a pretty sweet freaking package, um, and I like how when you get to the epilogue, um, the, the the building is kind of just isn't your typical really kind of skyscraper you'd see um, in the city. I just, I, I really, I, I, I kind of like this world, at least civilization. I kind of like the world that uh, the little we're seeing of, um, of civilization at the end of the issue. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm liking it a lot. I, I, uh, you know, obviously, I don't know where this limited series is going to end up, but but after reading this first issue, I'm kind of hoping we may get um, an ongoing set of uh, of limited series, just just based on this first issue. And you know, we'll come to third issue, maybe I'll change my mind for some reason. But this was this was a really solid first issue. I liked it a lot for sure. I thought it was a smart approach. Um, the creative team doesn't hypersexualize Bermuda. No. Uh, they could have. Um, she could have had giant breasts or, you know, torn clothing. But no, she's just a young girl who can 
you know, very well take care of herself in a hostile environment. Uh, uh, there, it's touted as all ages, but there's a little bit of violence in it. <laughs> yeah, somebody gets stabbed through the chest, and and you know, it, but it's not egregious. You know, it's not splatterific. Um, it's Bradshaw. So uh, I think, you know, when you drop the detailed word, it's redundant. Um, it's, it's, it's organized chaos. There's a, a lot of marks uh, in a little bit of space. And he just pulls it off with panache. Like, I, I don't know if, if I'd be capable of, of dropping all these lines and have it make uh, as clear visual sense as as Bradshaw manages to pull off, right? Yeah. I think it's just a great-looking book. Um, it really is. And it's four issues. So get it now or get it in collected edition, but you're going to get it because yep. it's, it's, it's just going to make your eyes sing with joy. Yeah. Uh, in your travels, I'm not going to go long because um, it's it's two issues, but the, well, I've caught up on two issues, but the Caught up on issues nine and ten of of um, I've read issues nine and ten of Department of Truth, so I've caught up on it. Um, not sure why these two were just hanging out, but um, they were, and I read them. Uh, number nine kind of touches on uh, religion. Um, Alistair Crowley is 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 mentioned, and um, there was one. There was one part in the issue where we're, we were introduced to Hawk recently, who who seems to um, have been around a long time and has been pulling strings for years, and um, so much so, and for so long that, that he's the type of person who he can um, he can kind of he kind of manipulates the news, sort of, but but he um, if if a kid comes across a boogeyman and um the boogeyman isn't scary enough hawk kind of amps it up a bit and then what he'll do is he will um have the television station television stations um they will maybe loop in some images of that boogeyman during some programming or the, uh, there will be commercials during your Saturday morning cartoons, uh, that, uh, that, 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 you know, subliminally you might see the boogeyman. So, um, he's, he seems to, so, so, so there's something that affected Cole our uh, the hero of our, of our tale who was introduced in the first issue. Um, there's something that's that's been bothering him for since he was a little boy, and uh, Hawk may actually have had a hand in making that happen. So, so there may be some connection with with Hawk and Cole beyond them just kind of working together uh, for the Department of Truth. But number ten uh, brings us Bigfoot, and there's a. Um, there's a couple of pages with handwritten notes from someone who, uh, from a hunter who stumbled across Bigfoot, and then they they um, they kind of explain how um, uh, 
reality works a little different uh, around a fiction in, in this particular case, uh, that, which is why they claim you can't get a clear photo um, of them. They're weird to be around. Uh, you can get a sunburn in the middle of the night just by standing near them uh, and, and try to move or think. You can forget about it. You'll feel nauseous the second one sets eyes on you. Um, people have seizures. So, I mean, they, they, they really... Um, Tinian and uh, is going to great lengths to to take things that uh, others have have said or claimed, and 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 is really weaving it all all together, and it it's it makes sense in uh, in this context, and and um, and Simmons Art is still fitting for um, for the story, so I'm thinking that, but uh, yeah, we're going to continue the, the 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 bigfoot story or arc whatever um with the next issue so I'm, I'm really looking forward to that issue um hitting the shop so i can read it that night but um yeah i just it's it's still it's still a series for me that uh is different than you know some of the other things i'm reading uh visually and story-wise because this isn't necessarily the kind of book that I would be clamoring for, um, or I would have had on my pull list, you know, a few years ago, there's, there's just something about this particular series that, uh, that I'm grooving to. Uh, so yeah, in your travels, I know that the, um, the first volume, the first collection was released. I'm not sure if the, I didn't, I don't remember if I saw a second volume in previews, but, um, that should be coming soonish. Uh, but in your travels, department of truth published by image. Nice. Uh, for minor travels, I'm going to, for like the second in three weeks, shout out Top Shelf, Chris Staros. Uh, I want you all to check out Onion Skin, which is a original graphic novel written and drawn by Edgar Camacho. This uh, is a import. It's uh, was originally a Mexican graphic novel written in Spanish and it was brought over here and translated. Um, Camacho is the first winner of Mexico's national young graphic novel award. Uh, they introduced that year and he was the first recipient and uh, we get the, we get the, uh, the gains our way in 2021, the book base or 2020 uh, it was nominated for an Eisner as well in the, uh, in the young readers category, uh, effectively, it's a, a bit of a um, a buddy adventure story. Uh, there's two main characters. Rolando is a dude who pretty much like hates his life. He hates his job. He just just uh, you know he's got angst. He's a young young person trying to find his way, and he's just not really satisfied with the rigmarole of everyday life. And some circumstances happen that forces him out of that rigmarole. He meets Nera, who is a, a attractive, sort of dangerous young woman who is more than happy to live outside of the norms of society. She's uh, when he meets her living in a beat up old food truck and they become fast friends and realize that she's got a passion for cooking, as does he. They fix up the truck and go out and start peddling their wares in this food truck and are massively successful thanks to some um, 
comic booky reasons. It's not just because they're great cooks. And uh, hijinks ensue. There's a biker gang. There's uh, precious ingredients and herbs that are very valuable. There's all kinds of things that make it a grand adventure. And uh, I was wildly entertained by it. I think that Delgado, as a storyteller, is terrific, uh, especially for his first graphic novel. Visually speaking, he's um, kind of like a, a love child between between Tyler Jenkins and Richard Sala. Um, angular, relatively simple anatomy and line work, but expressive faces, lots of action. Uh, yeah, good stuff. Uh, a tinge of humor. Really, really enjoyed the book and definitely think it's worthy of the praise it's been getting. So once again, it's Onion Skin, written and drawn by Edgar Camacho, available through Top Shelf. And I think the cover price is fourteen ninety nine. So, you know, probably cost you 10 bucks or so if you uh, go through the discount comic book service. Nice. All right, everybody. Hey, hope you like this. A lot of went into it. Uh, we'll be back really soon with more stuff. Uh, if you want... A lot more EOC in your lives. Go to Twitter, Reddit, Instagram, Facebook. Big presence is there. Go to the Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash 11 o'clock comics. It's a hoot nanny. I don't get to use that word very often, but it is a hoot nanny over there. Um, it's just cross pollination going on all over the place. It's dirty. Um, nice. Yeah. And in the meantime, uh, you know what to do. Uh, next week. Read uh, Concrete Depths for the book. Yes. Book of the Month next week. Right. Read that stuff. Do it. Because if you don't, you're going to have to say goodnight. I didn't do Michael Rodebo's shore. David. Good night. Hallelujah. <laughs> Sounds so pious and, and innocent <laughs> saying it. Uh, <sighs> you totally <sighs> threw him off. Nice. Nice. All right, everybody. That's it. We're out of here. Go have fun and get the hell out of here and go read, read that some- chat with y'all. Yes, and some other comics. Yes, but Chadwick primarily. Right, because it's the book of the month. Right. Yeah. That's it for that one.